For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Big Volcahi and for Neil at 10 past nine, coming up at 11 after nine now. Uh, for today, calls for more Gardaí. We're going to be talking about this more on the programme. We already did with the GRA last Friday. There's a concern about rising antisocial behaviour. Donald O'Keefe reporting on the front of the Echo that councillors in Crosshaven and Carrigaline have repeated calls for an increased Garda present on the ground uh, amid concerns of rising antisocial behaviour. The call to action follows an alleged incident in Crosshaven at the weekend, which one councillor described uh, how she had to dial 999 for assistance when she couldn't reach local Gardaí. Front page of the Echo. Uh, also, Dara Birmingham reporting in the Echo that there are concerns over possible downgrading of community policing in the city. Concerns have been raised about community policing in Cork ahead of a roster reshuffle in the coming months. And as we explored with the GR, uh, GRA, it all looks good on paper uh, and the positions still exist and will exist on paper, but the ability to carry out the duties of those positions seem to have been moved uh, and will be uh, unable to be fulfilled. That's our reading of it anyway. The issue was raised at a meeting of the Joint Policing Committee in Cork yesterday with Chief Superintendent Tom Myers saying we have some tough decisions to make. In recent weeks, the Echo reported concerns raised by Fianna Fáil Councillor Tony Fitzgerald who said that under a new Garda roster uh, system, it's proposed to place all community Garda on routine rosters, meaning he said that those Gardaí would be working during the night and not available for the community policing. Uh, they'd still be there, they'd still be there as community officers, they just wouldn't be able to do the job. Uh, speaking at the meeting yesterday, Mr Fitzgerald said, it's my understanding uh, uh, it is, uh, it may be possible that the community policing units may be integrated into the, the new roster system, which will in effect be a disbanding of the community policing in our city, though it won't look like that, I think, on paper. My words, not his. Gardy expect a landslide Harris vote. Uh, with all of this moving around of the chess pieces, Gardy have concluded their vote of confidence in uh, Commissioner Drew Harris, uh, which is expected to end in a landslide result against the force's top officer. Huge anger about the roster issue and Gardy's declining morale is expected to bring about an overwhelming vote against the commissioner. And this is kind of unprecedented territory, isn't it? Never came across that before, wherever uh, where, where any police commissioner uh, would even attract such a vote. A source said, if you get 7,000 or 8,000 of your staff saying they do not think you're doing a good job, you'll be very uncomfortable for the commissioner. Is it 14,000 Guardia left? It was 17, wasn't it? Uh, it's between 14 and 17,000 Guardia across the country anyway. So they're expecting a big turnout for this vote and so- sources told the Irish Daily Mail, uh, the, which we're uh, quoting right now at this story, uh, that they expect a landslide. One said Guardia are honestly just fed up. There's a roster issue which is just making them pull their hair out and the commissioner um, it's not just uh, said it's not just the roster um, there's the retention and recruitment crisis as well Gardaí losing loads of officers on a near weekly basis not enough people to do the job a lot of the equipment is outdated and it needs to be a total rebuild of the entire force that's what uh, Two Harris was brought in to do wasn't it? Uh, staying with the echo, uh, the length of time to get answers is a cause for concern. A city councillor has raised concerns about the length of time it's taking to get answers about the effectiveness of the robot trees installed in Cork City Centre. Sinn Féin councillor 
Uh, Yolan Ryan put forward a question at a meeting of uh, Cork City Council last evening asking the Chief Executive for a report on the effectiveness of the robot trees. Cork City's uh, five urban moss walls known as robot trees were installed on Patrick Street on the Grand Parade and the Grand Parade in 2021, promising to absorb 80% of fine dust particles from the air. They cost €350,000 a year to maintain. The trees are covered in special mosses that trap harmful pollutants and clear them from the atmosphere. And seeking an update on the report of the effectiveness of the robot trees, Mr Ring said Fianna Fáil Councillor Colm Kelleher had last September also requested an update in relation to their effectiveness. We have homelessness and accommodation crisis, but we're spending 350 grand on robot trees. There you go. Ireland fan is gang raped. Horror headline on the front of the Sun today. Uh, a woman of 37 was snatched by three men. Uh, an Irish fan, uh, fan was gang raped by three men while in France for the Rugby World Cup. The woman who's 37 was uh, attacked in Bordeaux after Ireland's opening uh, clash with Romania on Saturday. Uh, she was snatched and dragged down an alley at around midnight. Gardie, who are in France, are assisting. Hunt for three men after rugby fan raped. Irish supporter 37, uh, abducted and assaulted by gang at the World Cup. Mirrors front page today. Gardie helping French police track down three Romanian suspects after an Irish fan at the Rugby World Cup was allegedly abdu- abducted and gang raped. Staying with gangs uh, in the sun today. Uh, gangs brawl terror. Gardi target feud thugs. Gardi have called for a zero tolerance crackdown against two warring gangs after a series of violent incidents at the weekend. Shocking images of the clashes and car smashes in Galway were widely shared on social media yesterday. Uh, I got halfway through one before I had to switch it off. Absolutely graphic stuff. Crazy stuff. Uh, two men were knocked down by a speeding car after it drove into a crowd of people near the Galway shopping centre. Following the incident, four people were brought to hospital. Two also suffered stab wounds. It comes after a number of violent clashes in Galway City last Friday and Saturday. During an incident on Sunday, a vehicle was also badly damaged and videos shared showed a large group of men fighting. Uh, 3,500 council houses uh, are vacant despite the crisis. Uh, so says the Sun today. More than 3,500 council houses are lying vacant despite the housing crisis. TD Padder Tobin, who obtained the stats, called it unforgivable. His figures also revealed that uh, 98,171 people are currently on housing waiting lists. Dublin City Council has the most vacant houses at 712. It's followed by Cork City Council with 350 and Limerick City and County Council's 228. Now, I know that some of these houses, to to give credit where credit is due, are being refurbed, and until they are ready for full occupation, until that day, they will uh, remain on the vacant housing list. So it's not as stark as the numbers we're seeing. It's still very serious, uh, but I know that there's maybe 15, 20, 25% of those houses that are being worked on and uh, will come off that list as soon as the refurbishment allows full occupation. The independent front page has growing pressure for yet another hike in mortgage rates, as if things weren't bad enough. 
the threat of another European interest rate hike is stalking borrowers uh, as the European Central Banks meet again this week. It had been hoped that after nine hikes in lending rates, the ECB would not impose another rise on Thursday. But now economists are warning that another 0.25 percentage point increase cannot be ruled out as inflation is proving persistent. Uh, in the Echo, again, HSE-funded uh, fertility services are commencing. People who are eligible and are recommended for advanced fertility treatment services will be able to access HSE-funded services in Cork from later this month. Uh, the Mail uh, on its front page, uh, the only paper covering this story uh, largely, uh, RTE in U-turn on the pay of its 100 highest earners. Uh, the state broadcaster is now claiming it's inappropriate to publish a list of names, even though they get public funding, even though they get um, license fees from the general public. RTE has decided not to publish the names of its 100 highest earners due to <clears throat> data protection issues. Amid criticism, it is trying to hide the identities of those on six-figure salaries. In the wake of a series of controversies, documents uh, obtained by the Irish Daily Mail show that the state broadcaster won't publish the much-anticipated list. Good to have a nose a nose into it, isn't it? And see uh, what presenters you know or may know of or may like to hear on air or on radio are getting paid. But RTE said the documents uh, uh, published would be inappropriate uh, and they wouldn't ask staff for their permission to publish their name and salary after several staff members complained to RTE's data protection officer. Director General, the new one, Kevin Backhurst, and other executives are to be questioned by the Oireachtas Media Committee on Wednesday. They're going to be grilled about the apparent U-turn after uh, RTE board Shuni Rahalig. Uh, I think she committed to, to constantly, or to, to keep going, uh, with that publication. Uh, now we're leaving Ireland for our final story. Uh, this is in the British version uh, of the Times. Uh, and here's a suggestion, and I wonder how it would go down. Not too well, I'd say, uh, in Cork. Pay more for your pint when the pub gets busy. Drinkers are being charged 20 pence more in the UK for a pint during the busiest times after one of Britain's biggest pub chains uh, implemented <clears throat> dynamic <clears throat> pricing. Uh, you get that in some nightclubs, you get that in some of the very busy bars where uh, come 11 o'clock the tills automatically uh, up the price, come midnight it's up a bit more if there's a late licence at 1 o'clock it's up a bit more. It's not a new thing but Stonegate which has more than 4,500 venues across the UK said it regularly reviews pricing uh, to manage costs but to also ensure we offer great value for money. Don't you love that when they're putting up the price of the pint to say, yeah, you know, we we have to offer good value for money. And when the pub is packed, I suppose most more people want to stay there. They're having the crack, but good value for money if you if you put the prices up even at that. Anyway, the higher prices help to cover extra costs such as bouncers, more washing up and paying extra staff. The pub giant uh, talked up the benefits of dynamic pricing uh, like happy hours two-for-one cocktails and discounts on food and drink at certain times. But it added, this flexibility may mean that on occasions pricing may marginally increase in selective pubs uh, and bars due to the increased cost demands on the business uh, with additional staffing or licensing requirements such as additional door team members. They're kind of implying that they're making less money when the pub is rammed, when they're six deep at the bar, 
when every barman is working flat out and taking cash uh, in exchange for putting drinks out. Uh, and that's a cost pressure. Whereas they have many, many hours in the day where there's one barman just cleaning glasses, there's nobody in the pub, uh, and the drink is cheaper. So it kind of doesn't make sense to me. But a manager at one Stonegate pub in central London, the coach has said uh, that the uh, change would add 20 pence to the cost of a pint of beer over weekends. One rival pub boss said the new strategy was poorly tuned and poorly timed as well and already provoking too many comments. People in this situation will vote with their feet. I wonder, will it be a feature uh, of the late bars if and when they are ratified and legalised here uh, that at the uh, stroke of midnight uh, your pint will go up 20 cent or 10 cent or 15 cent or whatever thing. Would you agree with it? 0818 104 106 is our phone number. The Neil Prendeville Show. Cork's number one talk show. Pure Cork. On Red FM. We were talking about policing. I noticed a, a very interesting uh, post <laughs> by our first guest, Councillor Marcia Dalton on Facebook last night. Uh, good morning, Marcia. Hi, Mick. Uh, you were you were at the policing meeting yesterday and you, you furiously took notes. I loved the way you said, I apologise if there's a couple of blank spots. I, I couldn't write fast enough. Uh, but it, it gave some very sobering. And now you only concentrated on your own area, of course, uh, to include Passage West, Crosshaven and, and, and Carrigaline. And I take it Crosshaven uh, is a much smaller population than Carrigaline. But the difference between them seems stark when it comes to offences. Well, to be fair, the, for starters, it was a local policing forum. So mm-hmm. it was held in Carrigaline to cover the lower harbour area. And obviously the biggest towns in the lower harbour area are in order. Carrigaline, Passage West and Crosshaven. So that's, that's where, where the figures came from. And yes, as you, as you accurately quoted my Facebook post, they're not all there. Um, I, not merely could I not write fast enough. My writing was so bad that I, I was reading them with a torch when I got home. But I always find the stats interesting because I, I feel they give people a sense of where things are going, where they're at. And sometimes we might have perceptions that aren't quite accurate. And I think they help. So I always do my best to catch them, even if they're not quite 100%. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, Carrigaline would have a population of about 16,000 last count. And truthfully, it's going up all the time. And Crosshaven? Passage West. Passage West has a population of almost 6,000. And Crosshaven has a population of, again, last count, almost 3,000. Okay, so, so f- five times the difference in population. You, w- you yeah, would then Carrigaline expect that the there would be a difference. One. Yeah, you, you would expect there would be a difference uh, of absolutely. higher numbers because of the higher population. That's fine. But yeah. the essential thing is uh, this has been called a chess piece moving exercise where these community guardi will still appear uh, on paper, but they won't be available to do their jobs uh, because they're kind of redeployed. Now, you're an independent councillor, Marcia, uh, and you've already recognised the lack of guard of uh, visibility, and you realise that's a serious issue across your munis- municipal district, including in Passage West, where, of course, you live. Um, but uh, you don't want to be unfair to the Guardi because they're doing their best, and they're simply being moved around like pawns. Yeah, I'm re- I can say, hand on heart, that everybody at that meeting last night Mick had nothing but praise for the local Gardaí. Um, like we, we genuinely recognise that they're stretching what they have to give and they're giving it. Um, and they're genuine in it. I'm so fortunate here in Passage West to have a local station. The guards are there when I need them. They're fantastic. My sergeant is fantastic. The people in Carrigaline say the same. 
um, there's been overtime in Carrigaline since last March at the weekends. That's made a huge difference. That's that's Gardaí on the beat. That's made a huge difference. Operation Palgurum was set up again by the community Gardaí to, it was the name they gave to an initiative to try to stop foul play coming down from areas further afield to the beaches and the popular swimming spots during the summer because that can so often result in antisocial behaviour. So they've been working on that. That's been a community Garda initiative. These are all massively valuable. Um, and so, so first off, everyone recognises that the local Gardaí are, are doing their best, right? Mm-hmm. That, that would be a categoric uh, reflection of last night's meeting. Yes, there was a question from the audience about the removal of the community Garda status, so to speak. And Inspector Martin Canney, who was leading the meeting, he was categoric in his response. He said, no, that is not the case. That's a rumour that, that is circulating because of the altered rosters that will happen in November. But the community Gardaí will still be there. Okay. So now, I don't have the expertise to know whether that will change in practice um, or not, obviously. And, and the subject was dropped there. You know, the, the, the commentator said, OK, thank you. And we took him out of word and that was that. And we didn't develop it any further um, because the meeting was for something else. But it was, it was fed back to him, shall we say, in spades, the worth of the community guard opposition. Because, yeah, we, we need more guards. We, we're saying it for as long as I can remember. We need more guards. We need guard visibility. It's guard visibility that makes the difference. Because it gives a sense of, of control. It gives a sense of somebody's watching, a sense of law and order. And, but if somebody's doing something that's unacceptable socially, then there may be repercussions. And that's a good lesson for say, young people, you know. So and in, in, in the message, Marcia, that look, we're doing our best as guards. Uh, I know there was, the, the whole area was discussed, which includes the Lower Harbour, bigger areas like uh, Balancholic, Bishopstown, Douglas, uh, Toker. Uh, it was mentioned recruitment is one problem, while retention of good police officers is a second major challenge. Only 77 new recruits recruits due to pass out of Temple Moore and about the same expected to retire. We're not making any numbers progress. No, and that was very much the message from the inspector. So he said, and they were his words, retention and recruitment are the big issues. Um, now, we didn't speak about crime stats in the wider area. So Bishop Sam Balancholic, Douglas Toker, the big urban areas, but they're part of our policing district. So he's trying to organise Gardaí to police all that area. And for him, whilst we, he praised his local team um, significantly. He, you know, he, he, he really did wax lyrical about his local team because we were also, we were waxing lyrical about the cooperation from our local Gardaí. And um, he did say retention of that force because there are, it's a challenging job and there may be more attractive pay and conditions elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Or there may be just an easier life for the same pay. Retention of, of those really good people is his challenge. And, and to be fair, it's above his pay grade. You know, that, that's not him making those rules. He's the manager, so to speak. It's kind of ironic um, so, that, that, that when people say, we need more nurses, it's pretty evident we need more nurses, but they, but they blame the HSE. But when it comes down to the guardie, we need more guards, they blame the guards. They don't blame the management. They don't blame the politicians. Yeah. Yeah, well, now, there was um, a, a very eloquent lady in the audience yesterday who, in my opinion, spoke magnificently about the minister had been down last week. Now, I wasn't aware that Minister McEntee was down. I'm independent. 
not either Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, so I wasn't told and I didn't meet her. But she was very clear that the minister is well paid, um, the commissioner is well paid, they're taking the decisions on how the Gardaí are recruited and rostered and what their paying conditions are like and when they retire. Those are their decisions. And if they can't outline now how they're going to draw more Gardaí into the force and make their retention more attractive, more feasible, then they're overpaid and they're in the wrong job. And she put it so well, so succinctly. Um, I have to say privately, I gave her a clap, you know. <laughs> I thought she was right. <laughs> okay, so where do we go from here? We're at, we're at about 13,000 guards. We need at least 17,000. So uh, whatever about retention, I know it's the, that's the bleeding away at the, at the senior age end. Uh, how are we going to recruit if it doesn't seem to be an attractive proposition to anybody? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, when I was younger, being a guard was, was something that we looked up to. Oh, the guards know, and the banks. Yeah, absolutely. Guards, banks and teachers. And they were people who kept our society moving and, and re- were regarded as doing a society very valuable role. And and we were very proud of them. Now, I, I still am very proud of my local guardy. But if one of my children were to decide to be a guard or that they'd like to attempt to get through Temple more, then, yeah, look, I'd be nervous. There's no point in saying otherwise. And then again, they, they put themselves in harm's way as well. They do, they do, they do. Um, there is a sense that society is becoming more violent. Now, whether that's true or not, again, I don't know because stats can sometimes clear up a, a perception that's misleading. But there is a sense that there, that society is is more violent, and there is a sense that the guardy may personally be in more harm's way than he or she was before. So, yeah, I, I, you know. As a mom, I'd worry if my kids were going to be a Garda. Yes, I'd be proud of them because I'd be proud of that. It, it would demonstrate what kind of character they were. I'd be proud of that. Yeah. But I'd uh, worry about them for you, sure. You, you mentioned kids. I know you have, is it four or five? I have five. Five, yeah. okay. Uh, you're a busy mom and, and uh, I don't know how you manage to do so much for the community, but you do anyway. Uh, and I say that without fear or favour because uh, I, I told you before you would probably get elected if you ran for TD. And you very eloquently told me why that was not an option because of your family. Uh, and, and, you know, wanting to, to have the, the proximity to your children rather than working from, from Dublin. Uh, so is, is, is a counsellor, as far as your ambitions, take you? Oh. Or are you going to run in the next I'm election? I'm not sure this is the <laughs> You're not sure this time. <laughs> uh, we won't, I, I won't pin you down on that one because it, 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 it wouldn't be fair. But I do want to stay on the subject of children very quickly because this will be a nice segue into uh, our next uh, item. Uh, as a mum of children, can I ask you what age do you feel it's right to give your children uh, progressively a mobile phone when they pass what milestone in age? Oh, well, look, I, I can't judge for anybody else. Everyone's household circumstances are different. I can only tell you what I did. Um, and we had developed... Now, I was I was the mum that every child hates, okay? So we didn't have PlayStation. We didn't have... Your, your children are every child? Um, well, I don't know. But mine certainly gave out to me <laughs> at the time. <laughs> so I, I was conscious of those. They did have access to computers, which we monitored, and they were allowed to computer games for an hour after dinner or whatever. Um, and that was to try to equalise the situation. But we took a decision early on that there would be no phones until they either hit 12 or went to secondary school, whichever came first. So okay. um, that varied depending on the child. That worked for child one and two. Uh, when child three came along, um, she was 11 when I was stuck deeply in the incinerator or hearing. And she had to get a phone because she was being farmed out to parents, to mine. And I was very grateful for the help at the time. 
Yeah, oh, and you had, you had to be able to contact her. Yeah, and we couldn't get the phone back off her. So <laughs> she broke the rule. And uh, to be honest, we had many fights about that. So when child number four came along, she didn't get it till she was halfway through first year. And then child number five got it when he went to secondary school. So that's the way we played it. <laughs> and are there, are there apps yeah. or monitoring programs you can employ to, to make sure that they're not getting unfettered access to that which they shouldn't be seeing? Yeah, again, that has improved as as the children matured. So my youngest is now 13 and my eldest is nearly 22. So when my eldest was 13, there wasn't the same capacity to monitor what they were accessing. Now with yeah. the 13 and 15-year-olds, we have family link on the phone. My husband's the expert, I'm not, um, but it, it limits the amount of time each day they can have in certain apps. We ask all of them to have their, their location switched on, even the older ones. Yeah. Um, so that if they're in trouble, we know where they are. Is, is that, is that through the family link or, or, or through an app like Snapchat or something? Um, no, no, I actually don't have Snapchat. It's through the Find My iPhone normally. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. And, and, and finally... So it just gives me that sense of security, Mick, you know, and I explain that to them. Look, you want me to be up all night worrying and ringing you and texting you? Then turn on your location and I leave you alone. And just, just to cover <laughs> another topic that's upcoming on the programme, did you ever have any trouble with them being bullied online or bullied by phone? No, I didn't, actually. No, not particularly. The middle one would have, or the one who got the phone younger, would have had more trouble in that line mm. than the others, for sure. What I do know is that when the next one came along, the fourth one, her close friends did have phones, they did have Snapchat, and again, I'm not pinpointing a particular app, but they would have created groups for the class that she was left out of. Yeah. And her closer friends would have had um, some unpleasant experiences in that regard within the class group. Um, so it was people they knew, but, you know, people speak differently sometimes online, um, differently from the, w- the way they would face to face. So they would have had some difficulties. And at the time, I would have spoken to those kids and tried to, to help them. And I couldn't at the time help thinking I was so grateful. My young one, however much she might have given out to me, didn't have that experience because she's just wasn't part of it. Sorry, and my apologies to drag you across, uh, across so many subjects, Marcia, but you're always the voice of reason. And you always speak so well and, and everything comes from the heart. Uh, I wish you all the best with, with, with your career. Uh, you're, you're a fantastic public servant and I, I won't ask if you're going to run for election. Not live oh, on air, no, no, I won't, I won't. <laughs> I really appreciate your comments. <laughs> Thanks a million. Thanks, so Thanks Marcia, all Thanks the best. So Marcia Dalton there. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Gork's Red FM. Gillian, thank you for holding 20 minutes to 10. Were you listening Hi. to a little bit of what Marcia was saying there? Yes, I was, yeah, okay. I was. You, you, you've strongly held views on when children should get mobile phones. It should be six class, definitely. But um, you have because you learned the hard way. Yes, yeah, I have learned the hard way. And I'm not advocating for parents to do different things. I'm just saying on my own experiences. Um, I have four children and I gave in to my son when he was during lockdown and he was in fifth class. And I didn't, you know, I didn't think anything of it. I was straight, look, to be fair, I think there was only, I think maybe a handful didn't have phones and I felt peer pressure got the phone for him and it just went yeah, fired out of control. That begs yeah. the question, Gillian. Did, do you think that lockdown skewed the, you know, the age that uh, parents would be... Definitely. Uh, yeah, they, yeah, they would be happy. They wouldn't be happy, but they're kind of forced no, into no, by lockdown. No, no, it was pressure because the kids were bored stiff. 
Yeah, the isolation for children, parents were under more pressure and I felt that it was a way of connecting. They were, you know, we were trying to connect them with friends and different things, you know, and it definitely has had a major impact those times. It should never have happened for children all that time off school and everything. The impact was massive, you know, and I felt I gave in as a parent. I gave him a phone and he was on Snapchat groups and before I knew it, he got very fed up and depressed and wouldn't come out of his bedroom and it was until my aunt said to me one day she was down and she said, he's not himself. And I said, yeah, he's not. And she said, what is going on? And we like, I took the step and I said, can I have your phone? And the next thing, there was a TV broken with temper. He said, I'm not handing you the phone. I can't. He was crying hysterically. Um, it just went out of control and I eventually got a hold of the phone. At, and at, at, his, little, at yeah. his little age, his tender age, his young years, he was, he's he now mentally caught between a rock yeah. and a hard place. So, yeah, so was, ju- uh, just, just, yeah. just detail how bad things were, how it must have been for him and why he couldn't talk to you. Um, I felt that he was, I think he was felt kind of pride, I suppose. He didn't want to tell me what was going on. And I suppose he didn't know any better because it was his first time on the Snapchat. And I suppose, I don't know, it, I suppose he was very vulnerable, I suppose, because he was being bullied by, there was six involved in this, gr- in this group. And it was the name calling, it was horrible, the comments. I When I did get the phone, I realised how bad things were gone. And I cried the whole night because it was horrific the name calling and you know the abuse that he had suffered and I just as a parent felt that I you know why did I give him the phone you know to put him through all this you know it was horrific to be honest and before I knew it um like he was this day he was getting to the stage of he was saying he wanted to kill himself he's 11 years of age yeah he was suicidal he was really bad I had to hide knives in my house because he was threatening at night time that he was going to do something really bad and I couldn't sleep for nights it was horrific to be honest so he was, he was bullied over a certain bad. app uh, over lockdown wouldn't and leave his Snapchat. room Snapchat, Snapchat. Okay. it's the worst thing any parent can give their child why is that because yeah. you know we can't be the railing bullying. on Snapchat alone are, I think there's competitive in these groups uh, egos ah. in the groups people talk differently online and some kids are vulnerable and unfortunately the ones that are vulnerable and quiet are the ones that are being picked on online. Yeah, know? but let, let, let's just say, let's just swap roles for a second. Let's just say your 11-year-old son was the aggressor here and he was picking on somebody else. You're not going to notice any behavioural change in him. In fact, he's going to be him, no. cock of the walk, as, as they say. Everything's going to be normal. But doesn't it then behove you as a parent to, to actually check his phone for output, not for what's coming in? People need to start checking the kids' phones because they don't, I'll be honest with you, the majority of parents never look at their kids' phones. They don't know what's going on. And that's why we need to be more cautious as parents and start looking at what the kids are doing. And when we start looking at things, we'll start realising how they talk to each other and how they communicate and what's actually going on, you know. Mm. And, you know, these problems, I, I mean, if I hadn't taken his phone, God knows what would have happened. You know? But, but when you, you, you took the phone, uh, the phone to read it, did, did you then take it off him? Oh, he was taken away. Yeah. I mean, Jesus, I had no choice. And to be fair, I got in contact with one of the parents and she was amazing. I, I couldn't thank her enough. She, uh, one of her children was involved, but she was outstanding with regarding um, helping me to sort the situation and contact parents that I didn't know. 
And in fairness to her, she really, you know, she rectified, you know, what her son, now her son hadn't done much, but at the same time, everything, you know, we rectified it very, very fast, you know. Yeah, but the, her, her really, son could have been just part of the herd as well, whereas he has to be visibly seen to, you know, yeah, to, 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 you to know, bully the victim to, to be, and, uh, yeah. you know, at a level with his peers or whatever. Yeah. And there um, was um, other kids involved who had actually been involved in a previous um, scenario with a young boy the year previous and they had been involved with the law regarding bullying this other child online, which it was the second incident for that. Um, th- those kids, you know. What's, what's the best way for parents to check here? Come here, you, little um, Johnny. Uh, o- open the apps and show me your groups. Well, show me, show me the threads of chat. On, I don't allow my boys on um, Snapchat and TikTok is banned from our house. I don't allow them. And my husband has put in the app into my other... I have another son in first year and he's given the phone, but it is on... It's all parental control. And the phone is handed over at nine o'clock. And my other boy has the phone again. He's in charge now. And the phones are handed over at nine o'clock every night. And there's no technology in my house on a Monday. Um, we, we are cautious about time. They're not allowed on it, for, you know, over two hours. That's the max. You no, know, no technology on a Monday. So what happens? No. Board okay. games, TV? No. They go outside and they, they, they do sports activities and they do different things. They go cycling, keep, you know, normal things what kids do, do you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday, he'd be of similar age, and uh, he was yeah. saying how and what an exalted childhood, childhood we had in our time. Yeah. Uh, growing up in the late 60s, early 70s, and, and uh, you know, down fishing for mackerel. Leaving home and saying, "I'll see you when it gets dark." Uh, you know, no, no, no yeah. worry of uh, kidnapping or paedophilia, or you know, there was, it, it was yeah. just uh, messing around in the water, climbing trees, building tree houses, uh, yeah. m- m- making, like making the as, as they call them in Cork, the steering as the coach cars, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. health and safety. We <laughs> e- even as babies, we we had uh, car seats with with, with two little uh, two yeah. little arms that fold out and just hang over uh, the mm-hmm. back seat. Um, you know, and we got through yeah. it. We probably put more lead paint through her, you know, as, as we were kids. Yeah, but parents up. made more effort. Now it's the easy way out. Hand them the phone and get peace and quiet and get your jobs done. That's the reality of, you know, I mean, parents are the fault. I mean, when I see children in buggies with phones hanging off them, I'm like, what the hell? Like, I mean, you know, kids, I mean, of course they're going to have social anxiety and they're going to have problems because they're given phones from basically a baby hand them the phone and get the peace and quiet. That's mm. what it is. You know? I in, mean, you know, it's, it's, it's In ways, it's, it's like, would you, would you give your, your 11-year-old a glass of whiskey? No, you wouldn't. Would, would, you, would you give your 11-year-old a cigarette? No, you wouldn't. Yet, yet, yet you give them this item that can be really invasive to their mental health. And, uh, I mean, if, and if you are, you should police it. Yeah. You need to police it. If you want your child having a phone, you need to start looking at what they're doing and what they're at. Because if you don't, it can lead to serious trouble. I mean, I've experienced it and I, I mean, I have three boys and my other boy is in first year and I have another lad and I did give the younger boy a phone, I'll be honest with you, I didn't think we'd have a repeat last year and we did end up giving in and I'll be honest with you, I've taken the phone off of him completely. If, if, if a child yeah. is being bullied, would, would a good answer to be, uh, would a good answer be uh, to text back to the bullies, my mum and dad check this phone every night at nine o'clock, please stop. 
I don't think so. I think it's making, I think you have to confront the parents, to be honest. I think the parents are the ones that, like in fairness now, in my scenario before, I to deal with the parents and they couldn't have been, you know, better about the situation. They were horrified. They didn't actually realise that what was happening and in fairness to them, they were just outstanding. They dealt with it very well and we were very lucky and the school also dealt with it amazingly. But the other side of it, what I would advocate to any TDs or anyone who is listening today is I want uh, phones banned from primary school settings because it's putting too much pressure on children, you know, on parents for to, you know, for phones. And I think they, sh- they shouldn't be allowed in on half days as an alternative to go playing. You know, you can bring your in your phone because that's putting pressure on parents, you know. And the number like one that. to buy the, you know, the, fo- the phone of, of quality. Yeah, OK. So, uh, now, how long, um, in, in the little time we've left, I want to get a few questions in. How long did it take the first child to recover after the bullying and after you took the phone away from him? A year and a half, at least. Yeah. Long, long time. Back to, norm- um, back to normal now? Back using a phone? He's absolutely flying it. And he doesn't use much technology you now. And he's just completely outdoors. Gyms, outdoors, kayaking. He's completely outdoor child. Um, he, you know what? Now I think it was a learning curve for him as well, and he couldn't have been better. Amazing, and his grades and everything went back by two grades when he was, you know, during this time. And to be honest, he's just flying. We're just so happy, you know. Second, we, second we child, and, and 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 this is very disturbing. Yeah. Uh, given a phone at ten because of the reasons you said, and was being sent dares through Snapchat to do things yeah. like pull his pants down, and and was yeah. afraid. If he didn't, he was going to get beaten up in school. That's terrible yeah. pressure on a child. It was it was severe pressure, and that's why he doesn't have a phone anymore. Because I thought it was a once off, and it wouldn't happen again. And look, silly me, I learned as well. It, it was my mistake. I shouldn't allow him to have a phone anyway. But I gave in. I didn't think it would happen again. And we this is the scenario we were, we had. And he's not allowed a phone. He's allowed to go on his PlayStation because I know who he's on with and I can hear them talking and that's, you know, that's safe and sound. But the phone, no, he's too young. He can't manage it and no child at that age should have a phone. They're just too young. Any, too any too child mature. in primary school, you'd be against at this stage, I think the end of um, sixth class, I think, is time enough, to be honest. I think let kids be kids and let them have a childhood instead of being stuck to phones and, you know, they can't interact with people. It's just ridiculous. So last term maybe of sixth class when they're getting ready to go I think the end of sixth class is time enough to be honest. But still, Snapchat needs to be checked. I mean, or else just, well, my kids don't have Snapchat. It's gone. You know, they're not allowed it. Your husband is a barber, I'm told, and he he sees young kids with phones. Tell us about that. I mean, look, I can't speak for everyone. I'm only speaking on my own scenario, but young kids um, regarding getting haircuts and so on, the screen is put in front of them before you have the gown on them, and that's the reality, you know. Um, They're giving the phones to, like, the kids might be enjoying looking around and whatever, but they're literally shoved a phone or a tablet in front of them straight away. Yeah. You don't get time to interact with the child, and that's the reality. It's disgraceful, you know. So they're cartoons. Mum or dad put a... A, t- a small tablet or phone in front of them. I don't agree with it, but look, I can't speak for everybody. Do you know, I that's my personal experience. Mm. Of parents, you know, you know, that's what I've seen and he's seen in the past. You know, and I can't speak for everybody, but I don't agree with it. And I think that you know, let kids be kids and let them have a childhood and go back to basics and get out more and interact more outside because it's not, you know what, it's all screens now and it's ridiculous. But the very you know? serious thought 
of a young boy aged 11 who wouldn't leave his room. He was being bullied by four girls and two boys and it got to the stage around 11 he wanted to kill himself. That, if if yeah. that alone doesn't make you uh, want to check your, mean, your, uh, your children's phones, I don't know what I mean, will. I have to hide all my shiny sharp objects in the house. Ugh. And at the time, my mother-in-law had passed away, so my husband had to go abroad. And thankfully for my aunt, um, I'll be honest with you, I wouldn't have managed. I mean, we, we were going through horrific times as it was, but having to deal literally of a child, you're afraid to go to sleep in case your child is going to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, because of bullying online, it's, it says it all, to be honest, you know. Jillian, I, I, I have to up. say goodbye to you there, but it's been fantastic. No thanks for allowing me on. Thank, thank, you. Thank, thank you so much. Very, very no enlightening. Thank, thank you. you. Thank uh, the you Samaritan's problem. number is 116123. Uh, if anything we've covered there uh, makes you feel you want you want to make that phone call, they will get you the help you need. The Samaritan's, once again, 116123. Now, if keeping your children safe from cyberbullying uh, is uh, part of... Uh, of what you want to do and what parent wouldn't. Then after news at 10, we're going to be talking to Philip O'Neill, the head of education and innovation with Cyber Safe Kids. But we've got some calls and or some texts and comments to come to in a moment. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. Some text before news at 10, just to tell you as well, we've been informed that Kilcully Junction is closed from 9.30 this morning so that uh, Irish water is uh, can repair a leak. Uh, so from half nine, if you're around the Kilcully area, be aware Kilcully Junction may be closed and you may want to make alternative driving arrangements. Magella said kids should have no smartphones till they're teenagers. They shouldn't be online and on social media any bit either. Uh, or any bit earlier. It's hard enough to deal with as an adult, and there are too many predators online anyway. Kean says it depends on your living, work, and circumstances. In our circumstances, I felt sixth class was appropriate enough. It was also when she started using public transport and the bus, so we felt it necessary. And uh, Michelle says they shouldn't get a phone until their confirmation and connect it to a family link, so you can monitor what they watch, and uh, you can lock down their phone uh, all this uh, done uh, on my phone. Uh, so that is uh, the link where you can monitor. Is that called Family Watch? Uh, Caroline says, my daughter's in third class and no one has a mobile phone. First year will be soon enough for us. And David says, you can go to the shop where the plan is and you can manage their phone. My brother and sister-in-law got it done only uh, to text and make calls and you can manage the rest from your own phone. You should be able to look at their phones every night too. Now, Show, Red FM. Ten past ten. Good morning. We're talking about kids online and uh, now moving on to cyber safe kids and to their head of education and innovation, Philip Arneal. Uh, good morning to you, Philip. Good morning. Thanks for having us on. Oh, it's a pleasure because uh, keeping kids safe online is becoming a big, big thing and a big worry for parents. Now, uh, established in 2015, CyberSafe Kids is an Irish registered charity. You're not on here to be making big profits. It's a charity uh, which works to empower children, parents and teachers to navigate the online world in a safe and responsible manner. What would you say to people who were listening over the last hour and shocked uh, that a young boy, uh, just as young as 11 years of age, uh, wanted to kill himself because of online bullying? Um, I would say probably that we shouldn't be shocked, to be perfectly honest. I mean, we released our, our trends and usage report last Tuesday, 
um, you probably came across it in, in different places in the yeah, media. And have it in front of me. These are stats that we've been reporting, you know, on for five, six years now. So I think really the time is 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 has come to tackle these problems rather than year on year, year in year out to keep reporting on them and being surprised at them and then allowing this cycle to continue. You know, we found that 25% of eight to 12 year olds um, have experienced at least one type of cyberbullying, and that increases to 40% when they go into post-primary school. So this is something that's happening and it's something that has to be addressed. Okay, let's, uh, before we uh, concentrate on the children, the demographics and the age, uh, let's look at teachers because I've got some stats here uh, which really would put the ball back in the parents' court. Uh, 74% of teachers say online safety is uh, is a significant issue in their school. 62% of teachers have dealt with an online safety issue like cyberbullying over the past year. 62%. And 45% feel they don't have sufficient skills to effectively deliver online safety training. So it's really back with the parents now, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, there, there's a parental responsibility, but it's not an issue of, of who's court the ball is in. This is a societal problem now that we're facing and this is something that needs joined up thinking and it needs a wholesale approach. So parents bear responsibility, so do teachers. Government bears responsibility and what's been interesting about listening to some of the chat this morning a lot of focus has been on phones but actually with 8 to 12 year olds only 47% of the kids that we surveyed have a phone. They're also on tablets they're also on gaming consoles so there's got to be talk as well about the responsibility borne by internet service providers and social media companies. Teachers are struggling and one of the reasons that teachers are struggling, I know this personally because I was a teacher for 20 years, is that a lot of online safety incidents occur outside the classroom. But inevitably kids being kids, particularly in smaller schools where there's a peer group that's quite tight or a community that's quite tight, those issues will inevitably come into the classroom. And so Teachers have to deal with whatever comes into their classroom, whether it's an online safety incident or some other kind of domestic incident, you know, at home. Mm-hmm. And so teachers need more training. Uh, they need more skills in how to teach this, this, um, this kind of topic. And also, this topic has got to become more of a mandatory part of the education curriculum because, like it or not, kids have grown up in the digital age and being online is an essential part of their life. Now, whether we like that or not is a separate discussion, I think. It's real life for them, being online, whether that's gaming, whether it's, you know, chatting with friends, whether it's ultimately being on social media when they're at the right age to be so. And so we've got to approach this as a society. It's not a case of it's the parents' responsibility, it's the teacher's responsibility. We're all responsible at this point. Yeah, I, I imagine it's through the media that the parents will, will get most of that education and upskilling, uh, and, and the teachers, of course, through the Department of, of Education. I think the best way to to really alert parents to how serious an issue this is, is to look at two cohorts of children. And I'll ask any parent out there, or any auntie or uncle or whatever, uh, to imagine little Johnny or little Mary, whatever their name is, at 8 to 12 years of age. Is there somebody in your family who's 8 to 12 years old? And then I'll move on to 12 to 16. So bear with me for a second, Philip, and I'll get all of your opinions on this. Uh, 8 to 12 years old, 93% have their own smart device. 84% have their their own social media or instant messaging account. One third of them have gamed with strangers online. 61% were contacted by a stranger during an online game. This is at 8 to 12 years of age. 28% of boys 
are playing over 18s games and 31%, nearly one third of 8 to 12 year olds have unrestricted access to the online world and all that it contains. That's stark figures. Uh, let, let me, before I come back to you, talk about the secondary school age. 12 to 16 years old. Who do you know in your life uh, who's that age? 98% own a smartphone. 73% can go online whenever they want. 50% of girls posted videos of themselves online versus 18% of boys. And 80% believed the online world uh, to be a mix, a mix of negative and positive experience. These children are in the, the learning phase of their lives. Uh, some can be bullied, some can be impacted, some can want to take their own lives. But when you have 93% of 8 to 12-year-olds, Philip, having their own smart device, what do we do to protect them? Well, um, we, as, as long as possible, certainly we can hold off with something like a smartphone. I think smart devices... It's a it's a complex issue because you know there are gaming devices which do have connectivity to the online world, of course, and similarly with tablets. Where the issue sometimes comes for sure is absolutely the phone, um, because it has more mobility, you have more access, and certainly if you're actively involved in your child's online life, it's very difficult to supervise and monitor. Okay, but the fact is that having that phone in and of itself, that the technology is is a neutral thing. So if you think of a car. You can have great times in a car. You can go on brilliant road trips, do all sorts of things, family holidays. You can also do very bad things. And the phone is a similar uh, vehicle, if you like. And the problem is that kids can access social media when they're not the correct age for it. We know that 84% of kids at 8 to 12 already have social media accounts. That's 37% of them have TikTok. 37% of them have Snapchat, which I know one of your previous interviewees referenced as being the source of some of that cyberbullying where that's occurring. Cyberbullying can occur anywhere online, but the reality is that we're told constantly that there is age verification in place, that there are safeguards in place, but the the statistics tell a different story and that the reality is that before kids are ready, uh, and certainly before they're legally ready, which technically is 13, and in Ireland it's actually 16 because the digital age of consent is set at 16. So even between 13 and 16, there should be some parental or caregiver supervision there. These kids are already accessing these apps. And we know that social media and the online world in general was not designed with children in mind. So there's a couple of things there. One is holding off as long as possible with something like a smartphone. And when you do have that smartphone, there's got to be constant supervision and monitoring in an atmosphere of trust, in an atmosphere of open uh, dialogue. And also, we've also got to say, well, look, you're not old enough for these social media accounts. Some of these kids that we surveyed, possibly they're on there with their parents' knowledge. But a lot of them, and I've taught kids that are much better mathematicians than me, it doesn't take a lot to work out what year you would be born if you were going to say you were 18. And so kids are getting around these safeguards. So there's got to be some responsibility and there's got to be some restrictions and regulations put in place to improve the age verification for accessing these kind of apps. Because if kids have phones and there's peer pressure that you mentioned in one of your previous um, discussions uh, to be on these things, to to be as part of the group, uh, something very common with children and particularly teenagers, then we've got to make sure that we're monitoring that use and supervising this online activity as much as we possibly can. And it's not an add-on. It's not an additional thing. This is part of kids growing up and it's something that's got to be done in the same way that you would never dream 
of sending your child off to the shops uh, without knowing where they were going or sending them off to the park without knowing who they were with or allowing them to go around the park, for example, or around the streets and hand out their address or hand out photographs or videos of themselves. But that's what's happening online. So this is something that we've really got to tackle. Uh, we we spoke to the instigator for the cocoa law, uh, the cocoa laws which have been uh, which have been uh, enacted here, making it illegal uh, to even intend or to inform someone you intend uh, to put salacious pictures up online or private pictures. Uh, how, how does that translate into the realm of children? Is posting pictures without permission or creating fake profiles? Uh, you can't stop anybody being ex- excluded from a chat group. One of the most invasive and insidious forms of bullying, of course, is bullying by inclusion. But back in my day, uh, the only smart device that was around was the phaser in Captain Kirk's hand. Uh, the bullying was either going to be physical or it was going to be mostly in the case of girls bullying by, you know, kind of bitchy exclusion. Uh, but right now it, uh, it can be a lot more clever and, and can make children withdrawn and reserved. So more advice, please, if you can, and on, on to how to combat that. Well, yeah, I mean, as you say, bullying is not a new thing, right? So the, the difference, once again, is how this technology is being used. It's a conduit for, for bullying. And, and one of the, unfortunately, one of the things that it does allow is this, this ongoing access to a person, right? Previously, you could at least, in theory, have the sanctuary of going home, school holidays, weekends, where you were relatively perhaps free from it, certainly if you were living in a, in, in a bigger town or a bigger city, for example. But obviously at the moment now with cyberbullying, it's, it's insidious, absolutely, and it, it continues. And it can be done on multiple platforms. So, uh, but I think at the root of any kind of bullying behavior is this sense of empathy and this sense of, of understanding how other people feel. And one of the tricky things perhaps about the online world is that it does allow anonymity. It does allow this distance, this buffer that you don't have. If you've got to walk up to someone and say something to them and see their face crumble or see them cry, that's a very different prospect to popping a message on a chat group, right, where you have this kind of safety. So I think when we're looking at this idea of cyberbullying and when we're looking at digital safety education, we've got to look at empathy. We've got to uh, separate, stop separating the online and the offline worlds because fundamentally it's the same. We want kids to be good people. We want them to have societal responsibilities, to be decent citizens in the way that they treat other people and, and, and the way that they would want to be treated themselves. In terms of uh, looking out for those signs for parents, it's absolutely important. Again, if you're uh, heavily already involved in your child's online life, whether that's games, whether it's um, apps, whether it's social media, you can spot those signs. And in many ways, symptoms will be very similar to what you might expect from, from a, a more traditional bullying situation, if you like. But probably one of the red flags is changes of moods and behavior around online activity. So it might be that, for example, a child was very keen to go online before and now are suddenly very reluctant. Perhaps they're coming off uh, a device or coming off a phone uh, and there's a change in mood. They're angry. Uh, they're frustrated. They're very withdrawn. So those are kind of the signs to watch out for uh, when it comes to potentially um, uh, being bullied online. You mentioned about images and videos, and I think for that, you know, that's a really important part of, of kids understanding what privacy means, right? And we would say... Uh, there's never any situation where a child or young person really should be sharing a photo or a video of themselves with someone they don't know. There's absolutely no reason for that ever to be happening. And the other thing that's important to underline is that even if you're sharing that with people you know and people that you trust, once something goes online, it stays online. So it's absolutely vital 
to understand that when you let go of that by hitting send or hitting post, you've lost control of that image and you've lost control of that video. And it can be screenshot, it can be captured, it can be downloaded, it can be reposted. And so you've got to think really, really carefully about what you're putting online. And we know kids are impulsive and we know sometimes they'll make mistakes, but ultimately once it's online, it's almost impossible to get it off. So if you're putting stuff online, we urge kids and young people to make sure it's something that you're proud of <laughs> and something that you're prepared to stand by in five or 10 or 15 years time, because a very good chance, and we've seen this many high profile cases in the media of things surfacing up from the online world 10, 15 years down the line that people perhaps are not proud of and did not want other people to see. Yeah, and I suppose a world of wonder is what most kids think awaits them on the other side, uh, you know, of, of the bridge to the internet, which is the smartphone, when it can often be a Pandora's box full of full of trouble, full of predators, full of danger. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it can also be an incredible thing. I mean, I've used technology in very powerful ways. You know, kids can connect with communities, perhaps kids who previously felt very isolated, whatever issues they're going through can find online communities of support. So there are beneficial aspects to being online, but to paraphrase one of our advisors to, to the CyberSafe Kids Board, you know, when you give uh, your child access to the online world, you're also giving the online world access to your child. And I think this is a really important message. That's a good point, actually. Caregivers. Yeah. You know, uh, we had a campaign back in, in uh, earlier in the year called Same Rules Apply, which you can find on our website. And really the focus of this was parents and caregivers. And what we were saying is very simple, is that the same rules should apply offline as they do online because they're not actually any different in that way. And it's really important to think, you know, if, if you wouldn't give the keys to your car to your child, <laughs> don't give them an iPad, send them off to their bedroom with the door closed because ultimately, instinctively, it may feel safer. They're in the house, you know where they are, you know what they're doing. But actually, the reality, of course, is, like you say, there is potentially that Pandora's box out there that they can be opening up through whatever game, whatever app, uh, whatever platform it might be. So again, this is why it's really important. And if parents are looking for practical advice, you know, think about those kind of norms within the house. Like where can devices be used? Are bedroom doors allowed to be closed? Where are they charged at night, for example? You know, what are the rules and restrictions around accessing content? Can you buy music? Can you buy apps? Can you buy things within games? And setting those rules and trying to stick to those as a family um, is is, is a, another way to help mitigate those problems that can potentially arise. From yeah, would, it, would it be fair to say that young children aged between 8 and 16 would also be unaware of how best to protect themselves, would also be unaware that posting a video is, is reducing your protection, uh, conversing with a stranger is is reducing the protective element that your parents would wish you have? I would say a lot of them know it, in theory, but whether or not they necessarily practice, because, you know, we know there is peer pressure. Sometimes situations get out of control. You know, there's a kind of a bandwagoning uh, element where people jump on board and everybody gets involved. So I think they do know it in some cases, uh, but it, it doesn't mean that we don't necessarily need to keep, uh, you know, underlining that and keep reinforcing that. And I think another powerful way to do it, to do that is to draw analogies to, uh, to the off, the offline world you know if you ask a child when we go into classrooms we go into classrooms right across ireland with our education program you know we'll say to kids now if you were to put uh pictures of you uh in a swimsuit up on the front of your house in the, in the front window where everybody walking past in the street could see them what you know what, what do you think and they would oh it's absolutely horrifying wouldn't even dream of it and yet perhaps 
that's what they might be doing online, right? So I think it's drawing these analogies and actually saying, you know, this is exactly what you're doing, you know? Or another good example is if someone was just walking behind you on the street to school and you didn't know and they were, quote, following you in the same way that someone you don't know follows you online, what would you think? And they say, oh, it'd be, it'd be really terrifying, it'd be really scary. And it's like, well, exactly, right? So it's kind of... Uh, making kids and young people understand that, you know, the, the online behaviors, if you translate those into the offline world, we would never consider them. We wouldn't do them. Um, and so thinking about when you go online, making sure that you're not falling into those traps and those pitfalls, uh, giving away your privacy, sharing details of your life that you mm-hmm. that you shouldn't be and, and contacting people that you would never dream of stopping and chatting to in the street uh, if you were walking about town. Yeah, the, fu- the final piece of the recent surveys was that over a quarter, in fact, 26% of all children surveyed had seen or experienced something online in the last year that bothered them. And mm-hmm. that's defined as content that scared them, upset them, or made them wish they hadn't see- seen it. So, such as sexual or violent contact. A quarter of all children. Be careful uh, when you're dishing out the mobile phones uh, without rules, guys. Uh, how can people contact uh, or maybe pursue or peruse the information uh, from from your organisation? It's a charity. Uh, so it's obviously not-for-profit. Philip Arneal is the head of education and innovation with the charity. It's called Cyber Safe Kids. So let's give you the platform to uh, allow parents maybe to uh, get online with you and look at all those tips. Absolutely, yeah. Well, our website is cybersafekids.ie. You can find us on all the the usual social media platforms, Instagram and Facebook in particular, we're very active. When you go to cybersafekids.ie, you'll find our Same Rules Apply campaign. You'll find the report that you've referenced there in detail this morning. Um, And you can also find a digital parenting booklet that we put together as part of the Same Rules uh, Apply campaign earlier this year. Um, that was uh, in conjunction with the National Parents Council and the Examiner in Cork. Uh, and it's an interactive guide. And, you know, if you're feeling lost, if you're feeling overwhelmed, if you're feeling that you just don't get it, there's a lot of information, a lot of free resources signposted on that that will really help very quickly demystify, you know, some of these apps that kids are talking about, some of these games that you may have heard of, and also giving really practical advice about how you can help uh, talk to your child, how you can help develop this relationship around their online life. Uh, and then, you know, better prepare them for a positive experience online and help uh, support them when they do come across potentially difficulties and obstacles in their online lives. Yeah, it's it's a difficult and complicated world we bring children into now. It is. Uh, I'm <laughs> kind of glad in a way that time is behind us and we've uh, pretty much navigated through it. Uh, but I don't envy parents with the complications, uh, you know, and the access to bullying that people surreptitiously have now in a cowardly sense by doing it online. Uh, checking... Checking and checking and I suppose developing trust so that your child can open up and talk to you uh, and then spotting whether they become reserved and withdrawn or whether there's mood changes. All the important things you'll find at cybersafekids.ie. Philip Arneal, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Thanks. 10.30 now. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. And a very good morning from the Neil Prenderville Show. This is Mick Mulcahy. I'm happy to welcome Owen Corey back uh, to the programme. Not on the issue we were going to talk about, which was kind of uh, family pricing and uh, winter holidays and winter breaks and destinations. Morning again, Owen. 
Uh, good morning, Mick. Now, breaking story, up to 350 Irish rugby fans have been stranded in Bordeaux since lunchtime on Sunday. They were travelling with Rugby Travel Ireland and we've tried for a comment there, but we're not getting one. Uh, but they are saying uh, that they're working to resolve the issue. Uh, it's understood technical issues with a homeward bound plane. Are you across the story? Um, well, it's yes, it, it, as across the story as it going to be, because I'm in the same situation. That's as much information as I have. We, the way um, all of this is panning out is that uh, there's a large number of Irish people travelling on your standard scheduled flights, but most of them are chartering in. We had, I think, 6,000 chartered in um, Friday and Saturday. Uh, just before I was last talking to I think uh, I had been talking to somebody who said he, he was on his phone, a tour operator on his phone, watching the planes take off, the aircraft take off with his fans on board. There's going to get more, uh, obviously, for the, um, there's a smaller amount for the next match, I think, but the real drama is going to be South Africa. As far as I know, the novel out of those charters don't have landing slots on their return. So let's get back to the core here. We've 300 fans playing uh, aircraft on tech. If an aircraft goes tech, it depends on how much money and how well organized you are. If um, you have a, you know, sort of a good, good network of contacts and cash in the bank, you can actually just phone up. It, it, usually they're brokers that do this. They'll say, okay, we've got an aircraft in Manchester. We get it down to you straight away. But otherwise, it's peak season, Mick. Mm -hmm. uh, all the aircraft are being used. They're used to shuttle out these guys to Spain and, and um, to New York and places like and charter aircraft are usually used by tour, tour operators. So if you don't have the contacts, uh, it's like being stuck um, in a country village late at night. If you don't have anyone to phone, you're going to be there until you get someone. And that's a big issue for a family, but it's a huge issue if you've taken money off people to bring them to Bordeaux, bring them home. There are surgeons on board that that have had to cancel operations yesterday because they weren't back. Um, it's a big drama. It's a big, big drama. Uh, so if there are technical issues with, with the homeward bound plane, uh, and, and you're not Michael O'Leary and Ryanair who can send, you know, they probably obviously have spare capacity. Uh, but if, Michael O'Leary always has a spare aircraft in Dublin. You, you see, the ordinary people, people who travel and just buy their ticket and get it, they don't realise the thousands of things that go wrong, uh, you know, with hotels, with aircraft, all of that. And a well-organised organisation, and you cite it, Ryanair, they will look at the number of aircraft they have in the base and they'll have something spare just sitting there and a crew sitting there and pilots sitting there for when these things go wrong. We have a lot of wing and a prayer operators coming in and out of travel down the years that you know, we had a famous case in the 80s with an airline set up by somebody with a 727. And they, they actually ended up um, with, the, with the aircraft in tech most of the time. Couldn't get spare parts because it was an unusual usual type of aircraft. A 727 wouldn't be very popular anymore, would it? <laughs> it, was, it was a long time ago, but the point made that there was... He, 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 Bought, he got got hold of an aircraft that didn't have any tech backup in Dublin, which was his base. So unless you're dealing with an aircraft type like a 737 or an A320 with loads of spare parts, 
floating around all of that. And unless you have uh, a red a company with perhaps a spare aircraft or two to do at their disposal, should they go tech? It's actually not the tour operator that's at fault here. It's the aircraft supplier that he got. Um, it's obviously not the passenger's problem. It's the tour operator has to get them home. But unless the tour operator has got somebody that they um, has the has the technical backup um, to make sure that um, they've they've extra aircraft or they can source an extra aircraft um, it it really is not good enough in this day and age. Aircraft can you see a, a, a part doesn't have to fail. A warning light comes on in a cockpit through a faulty, you know, just a, a, a false warning light. This happens in our cars all the time. It, that means it can't fly. It's safety first. So it's not a case that um, you, you, it, it's unusual for an aircraft to go tech. Going tech very often means a very simple problem and it's solved very quickly. Or sometimes it means a spare part has to be Yeah, so out. this, this, this but, is Bordeaux. If, if it was an Airbus, you'd have a fair chance there because they're manufactured in France. Uh, that a part well, would be found even, pretty quickly. Even now, but, because it's September, uh, Nick. Sorry for cutting across. No even problem. now, when it's September, yeah. Okay, so um, so is is the tour operator operator here going to take the brunt of the blame for what is essentially an airline absolutely. technical problem? Yeah, I, I, that's it, that's the way it works. The, the the tour operator then sometimes goes the supplier. The supplier, uh, the, air, the airlines. The airline sometimes goes back to somebody who's supplying, supposed to supply a spare part. But that's not the, your, the passenger's problem. The, his point of contact, the people who took the money off him, is the tour operator. Okay. okay. The package holders, the compensation schemes are all from the operator. Okay. His, did, did, no, his, none of this, I suppose, own as much solace for the up to 350 Irish rugby fans that have been stranded in Bordeaux. Right. Now, there are other ways home. You can get to uh, North Brittany and you can get you can get ferries to Rosslare, you can get ferries from Roscoff or Cherbourg. Uh, you can uh, travel by train very easily in France to a different airport. But are you essentially left on your own now to make your travel arrangements to get home? It, the tour operator, in the, in, in, if you were with somebody, if you remember that we talked about the, the fires in Greece, yes, uh, to a major tour operator, uh, on to all their passengers, these are your options, you can change your day, you get your money back, we're flying an extra aircraft out home, that's what a well-organised tour operator does. Okay. This is not a well-organised tour operator, uh, uh, these guys can make their own way home and build a tour operator, and they also have under the, um, the Commission of Aviation Regulation in Ireland because we're very considerable consumer rights if because they booked with the tour operator. But as you say, no solace because it's a very crowded time. There's a World Cup on. We've had um, ferry services. We've doubled the number of ferry services uh, direct to France than we had before Brexit. But even if you're going through England, England and Scotland and Wales are up there as well. So it is a busy time. It's very busy to get that capacity. Uh, it's very busy to get those seats home. Very difficult to get those seats home. And um, I don't like the way that our entire couple started with um, an assault, with the rape of a, a alleged rape, with the queues to get into matches, uh, both at the Ireland match, people missing the start of the people match. missing the start and most of the game, yeah. And England, Argentina, even worse. So it's not really the sort of headlines we want out of what should be a very happy six weeks. Yeah, yeah. Are, are there other games in Bordeaux coming up um, over the, the next few days? Had, okay, we've we, 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 uh, Ireland's, Ireland's programme very simple. 
We have another match in Nantes. There's about 6,500 going out to that. There's a direct flight there as well from Ryanair. But all our matches after that are in Paris. And I think I'm counting the quarterfinal, semi-final, and final in that. But the thing is that all our matches are in Paris. We actually have a less of a problem than some of the other teams. Uh, Scotland are twice in Marseille, and I do expect another air traffic control strike getting in and out of Marseille. Oh, no. I would have thought, I would have thought it'd be fairly simple. Once we've got Bordeaux and Nantes over, that getting in and out of getting our fans, and there's going to be because the South African match could be the biggest air sports airlift in Irish history, uh, matching what we saw with the 16 European Championships in France, and famously going back to Rome um, to uh, the Italian 90, 13,000 were lifted out in the day. But we could, it should be simple enough. But what we have here is uh, a tour operator that wasn't well organised. Not their fault that the aircraft went tech, but it's their fault that the backup systems weren't in place. Okay, so um, because I have a family member travelling to Bordeaux tomorrow, literally for pennies, uh, and it must be something to do with, 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 I assumed it was something to do with bringing uh, that capacity down to bring rugby fans home. Would that be the case? That would very likely be the case. If you've got uh, rugby fans travelling, the aircraft is going empty in one direction and full in the other. When uh, airlines get that uh, position, they sell off the return leg because they generally price it, by the way, that they don't have to make a profit. You know, like They assume that the aircraft is going to be half empty. Yeah, they're making so a profit they on, on one way. Someone who's no interest in rugby uh, when France are playing in Dublin uh, can go to Paris for the weekend for half nothing. Mm. Yeah, I, I think one of the one of the um, the bad options available at the moment. I won't mention any company here, uh, but I'm I'm looking. At, you know, when you're trawling the internet for for holiday destinations or flights, uh, you're looking at very cheap exit from the country and very expensive return. They they almost have you mentally sold on getting to to the destination for fifty quid or something, and then ah, oh, it's two hundred and fifty to get back. Yeah, um, there's the, the, uh, the yeah, the, it, it goes completely. I mean, there are they are completely independent of each other. They used to be tied in very much. You couldn't really buy one way tickets. It had to be return and all of that. Uh, some of those legacy airlines still operate on a, a version of that, which it reflects. Do you know what it reflects, Mick, in modern uh, booking systems? That some of the airlines, if you don't show up for the outward leg, they'll cancel the return, which is crazy. And European courts have ruled against them. But the low-cost uh, model that Ryanair is the most familiar in Ireland is basically they're two separate bookings. They're not; they're independent of each other. You decide to go out some other way, you will have a return flight waiting for you. But it also means that the pricing in each direction is completely dependent on how many people are traveling that day or how many people, how many seats are available that day. So, um, as you say, you can sometimes look up this amazing outbound price and then find um, that any time you want to come home, you, uh, you the, the price is very high. Yeah. All right, Owen, it's not, not the best of lines, so we leave it there. Once again, thanks for being available and for shedding Always some light on that for us. Thank, thank you. you. Cheers. Bye-bye. Uh, and by text, I've made it to London uh, from Bordeaux along with six others, but there are seven more of our travelling party stranded in Bordeaux since lunchtime on Sunday. There were five surgeons from Dublin who had to cancel their operations yesterday as they couldn't get back. Uh, just before we take a break, some texts, and they really are rolling in. Uh, on the smartphones issue. Uh, once your child has access to a smartphone, 
the world has access to them. Unfortunately, they will never again have one minute's peace because they're contactable by everyone. Unless you can get them to agree to rules on time limits, they're open to being harassed and bullied and intimidated uh, intimidated and demoralised 24-7. That's the reality, no matter whether you want to believe it or not. At what age is a child able to handle that? As long as you can get away with it, keep the phones away, says our texter. Definitely sixth class after confirmation. Uh, if you can get away with it, I'd say first year in secondary school is time enough as well. Uh, Carol says first year is time enough. I'm struggling to find a reason why an eight-year-old who's too young to be left alone anyway would need a phone and be open to the world. But it's your child, your rules. Uh, in uh, my opinion, uh, eight years old is far too young. Patrick says the age their parents decide as their primary educators and guardians. This should be correct. Uh, when will we complain about... Uh, when will we complain our lives are far too often being interfered with others telling us what we must do and how, mu- how we must do it? Okay. Sinead, when you as their parent think they're mature enough, ideally over 16, says Sinead. Eddie says, when you know they can be blocked from uh, con- uh, content not suitable for them. Colette says, the summer before secondary school is early enough. And Gillian says, parent link to your phone so you can see what she's doing or he's doing and will need permission to download any apps, etc. And you can put good controls on pretty much anything right now. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now, 0818 104 106, Red FM. Now, on March 23rd, 2007, Leanne Wolfe, an 18-year-old Cork girl, took her own life in her family home. On the morning of her funeral, her older sister Trina discovered Leanne's diaries. Leanne had kept a diary since the age of 12. As Trina read her sister's diaries to her horror, she discovered her sister had written about being bullied by a group of six girls, for the last five years. Leanne had received black eyes. Her hair had been pulled out. She had been threatened and given numerous beatings. They'd called her names and vicious rumours had been spread about her. Her parents believe that the bullying played a major part in her death. And I'm joined by Colette Wolfe now on line two. Good morning, Colette. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. You're more than welcome. We continue with our somewhat sensitive series of interviews, um, but we hope to make... Cork and, uh, you know, the place we all live, a better place, by, by looking back at tragedy and, and maybe so, in some way examining how people turned it into hope and positivity. Tell, tell me all, well, tell me firstly a little bit about Leanne and then a little bit about Concert of Hope. She was um, the last child of three. She was, um, we waited nearly seven years for her. So our excitement when she came along was just, you know, I felt complete be honest I felt complete because I knew she was my last because we tried so long for her so we enjoyed every moment of her she was ruined and spoiled rotten last, <laughs> and last children normally are average, and she was your average teenager uh, give you a hell <laughs> you know if you said yes she'd say no and you know but she loved school she did very well in school she was going for midwife that's what she was after applying for and she, when she turned 15, uh, she came in with a black eye and that's when we discovered that she was being bullied and we went and we talked, we got it sorted. And But when we read her diaries afterwards, we discovered that um, we made it a thousand times worse. So, But she was a bright, beautiful, happy and for all sense of the world, to be quite honest, we didn't have no idea. You know, to be that all this was going on in her life. We thought we, we had stopped. Mm. 
the, the, the diary, of course, is is a is a place of sanctity. It's a place where somebody can record their deepest innermost feelings. Uh, never really with the express intention of having them read, but always possibly in mm. most cases, uh, keeping everything private for rereading yourself uh, in in later years. And I'm sorry if this is a difficult question, but did it, 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 does it upset you any way that uh, what was contained in, in 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 the diaries could have been discussed with you, and and not if you like buried there uh, for later discovery that she might have been a bit more open with you and and things might have been different. As a mother, a hundred percent right. You're a hundred percent right because the hardest thing I dealt with afterwards was that you know Leanne was didn't come. But when you read the full extent of her diaries because there was a lot that we couldn't go public with but when you read the full extent you could see that she's trying to start this out and then eventually it causes a lot of shame to her that she must be doing something and it must be her fault that this is going on and if if you're in that place where I believe it's my fault then it's it's almost impossible to, to discuss that with the people you love the most, your direct family it is and you know like when we we did Leanne diaries through counselling. She had to, we had to do them through counselling. And when you read parts like that, I'm nothing and I'm nobody, you know, that's, you know, pages of that, you know, you you see where she was actually brought. I remember at the time of her death, a Professor Morn uh, in Trinity College was involved. She used to be on today, tonight at the time. And she said, like, in Leanne's case, and in a lot of cases, because I thought Leanne's case was very, you know, rare, but afterwards I discovered it wasn't. But she said it was like, she described it like a pack of dogs, that they surrounded every area of her life, between, you know, physically, mentally, even her car, you know, every aspect. Yeah, and and the real real sad part of it, Coletta, that I'm feeling is, is that even though they caused her to find, if you like, the bedrock of her self-worth, that she'd come out of her room and she'd have to put on a bit of a brave face for you guys yes. as if everything is normal. Exactly. And, you know, I remember, like, um, we we were in Lanzarote when we got the phone call, and I remember about two months, because she was meant to come with us, it was the first time she was ever actually left behind, because, you know, we waited so long for her, but Trina, my older daughter, came down, and my son was only across the way in Carry too. So he, we actually downsized and followed him at the time because uh, Liam was the only one left in the house. And uh, like I remember when she said, no, she said, oh, ma'am, I'm going to really have to struggle, uh, knuckle down for the leaving cert. I just want all the points so she wouldn't, she cancelled out of Lanzarote. But like, to speak to her, like, you know, the, the night before I went to Lanzarote, like, within a couple of days she was dead. But that night, the night before, she was in my bed with me. You know, and I, 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 you know, laughing and phone. I was saying, Leanne, get out of the bait. Get out of the bait. Mm-hmm. You know, and, she, and you know, her dad was saying, he was saying, Leanne, get out of the bait. <laughs> and, you know, it was just normal, right? Normal. There was no sign. There was no nothing. And from working with a lot of people now, it can be the case. People have often just went out the door, give their wife or give their children or, or their child with their mama, you know, and, that, and you know, that would be it. I know, but the, the really, really sad part is that she probably believed at that stage that you guys would be, would be better off without her because exactly, they, they'd, they'd gotten to her so much. You know, it's and it's the sad thing that, you know, I do believe, and I work with a lot of people now, I do believe that they get a chance just to open up. Unfortunately for Leanne, Leanne 
opened up to the wrong person on the night of her death and they didn't help, you know what I mean? Mm. She told them and all that she was going to take her life. I, I, was, I do believe it was a cry for help, you cry know what I mean? Help, yeah. But they didn't take it too serious and, you know, it was something afterwards I asked, would she have ever said anything like that? They said no, and I, you know, but I just feel that, you know, if, like, I look now, people, like, I have one young girl that, you know, I started meeting, she was only 19, and, and she was very quiet, very hard, and we'd go to O'Brien's, have a uh, cup of coffee, she'd have a bowl of soup, wouldn't I'd be talking about the weather, be talking about everything, until she was ready to talk, and then she opened up and told me how, how much she was struggling, and how she, she found life very hard, and she didn't even know why. And she didn't even know why. I, I, spoke, I spoke to a, uh, a mum yesterday who lost her daughter, Nicole. That's the, that's the yes, foundation and the inspiration yes. for the Coco's Laws. Um, but, and, and you've turned things into a positive with Concert of Hope. Now, uh, I want to give this as much time as we can. We've only got a couple of minutes. But Concert of Hope, Hope you founded a charity event in support of those who've lost loved ones and are dealing with grief or going through a difficult time in their life. And I really want to concentrate on it because... It's been running since 2013, but it's your first year back now since COVID. Yes. T- tell me about it. Where is it on and, and how can people buy tickets? They, they don't have to buy tickets. They just turn up. It's a free event. Everything is free on the night. Um, there'll be different choirs. The Lord Mayor actually is singing two songs. Yes, could he sing? So he'd be performing on the night. He opens it. The Lord Mayor opens it every year. Um, it's just a wonderful night that we're giving. We're cock, really. Look, you must have heard that if you have no hope, what's the point of getting out of bed? You have to have something to hope. The meaning of hope is like to look forward to something, that something good is coming, something positive is coming. And the night of hope is there, that at the end there will be counselling, you know, anything that people need, it will be there for them, will be provided for them. And it's for people that are struggling with addictions, people that are struggling with children with addictions, you know, you know, so many out there, because you're dealing with so much now at the moment. Cock is the highest for suicide. And that's very sad, really. Very and sad. Where, where, where is it on and what time? It's on at the City Hall, the Concert Hall, and it's on at 7 o'clock. The doors are opened at 7 o'clock, and I tell people to come early because it fills fairly fast. And it's going to be a wonderful event. I'd love to be able to sing myself, but my pastor said no. I, <laughs> when I when the choir are singing south, I go I go west, so I'm not allowed. Colette, but, it's, uh, it's, it's been wonderful to talk to you. Well, I'm, I must head for news at, at eleven o'clock once again. Samaritans on one one six one two three. If you need to contact them, very best. Next Friday, fifteenth of September, seven o'clock, free concert in collaboration with Inspiration House and you, Colette Wolf, and your husband Anthony. You're both inspirations. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye bye. The home of the cash machine in court now. The Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. And lots of texts coming in. Yours are more than welcome as well on 0868104106. First batch of text is on uh, the Gardaí. Quite a lot of them, actually, uh, considering we didn't cover the topic uh, for an extended period. Uh, no Gardaí available to police our city. I believe all Gardaí should have been redeployed uh, or have been redeployed, I beg, uh, beg your pardon, uh, to search for people using dodgy set-top boxes. Only in Ireland, I guess. The problem with the recruitment of the guards is the pay and also the placement for training when they pass out. I know a married female from West Cork that was placed in North Dublin for eight weeks of placement. She was told to either go up or quit, says Kevin. Great chat with Marcia Dalton just now as a proud guard of wife 
I am so proud of the job my husband and his colleagues do, but there is no two ways about it. It's a tough, dangerous and more often uh, than not a thankless job. Inspector Kenny is right. Recruitment and retention is a huge issue. But with the way things have gone in recent years, who would be a Garda? Not a day goes by when there isn't a report of guards being assaulted and abused for simply doing their jobs, not to mention this relatively new phenomenon of being filmed and posted online. Until things change, the recruitment stroke retention issue will not improve. Hi Mick and the gang, why don't they use the army to patrol the street with the guards, says Kevin. Not the army's job, Kevin. Uh, I'm after going for the guards twice now. I made it to the fitness stage, but it's way too hard. I can't get past that stage. I will try again, and I don't mind doing it to get into the guards, but it's way too hard. They should get long-serving guardie to do it too. It's not fair. They are There are overweight guardie in the force at the moment that should be made to do the fitness test. It shouldn't be just a once-off thing. It should be continued into your career. Uh, I'll keep going until I get there, but the fit, fitness test is dated. Uh, it's too hard and needs to be rejigged. Uh, more on our text lines on the guards. Three more. Fianna Fáil TD on the Tonight Show last night said there were 130 Gardaí going through Templemore every 11 weeks, says Desi. The guards in my eyes are nothing but tax collectors, says another texter. Take the wool off of your eyes. On the HSE, Mick, scrap the HSE once and for all. They've overspent between 600 million and a billion. Uh, Sack the Minister for Health, so says Frick Murphy. Uh, On housing, there are houses boarded up for years including my late aunt's house in the Glen. What excuses do our city council pen pushers have for this? They should be all sacked by this government. Irish families are waiting years for a new beginning, says uh, Kieran. Uh, on banned dog breeds, I was amazed this morning to find that there is no dog breed banned in Ireland. Why has nothing happened uh, since that lad was attacked in Enniscorthy? Uh, this was a huge element, actually, uh, was it on Sky News yesterday? I think it was as well, uh, about a, a, an attack in Britain. Recent CCTV footage emerged from, emerged from the UK showing the moment that a girl and two men were attacked uh, by a crossbreed Bully XL Staffordshire uh, Bull Terrier puppy. So the Bully XL crossed with a Staffordshire Bull Terrier puppy. It's known as an XL Bully and people are calling for this breed to be banned because it's killed people before, indeed very graphically. Uh, uh, with pictures of her recovering but it's probably never going to be a full recovery a young girl, three or four years of age whose face was savaged by one of these breeds Uh, on kids with phones uh, that woman you have on the radio Mick is an absolutely fantastic mother only for her, her son could be in a different situation I wish her well and well done and talking about kids and young people with phones we all see young people with their phones and they can't leave them down a lot of them have uh, a lot of them can't have a face to face conversation Are our addiction clinics in 20 years' time going to be about phones and broken relationships? So says Desi. Uh, Back to the topic on line one, and it's Susan. Good morning, Susan. Hi, good morning, Mick. How are you? And now, you you, you want to respond to giving phones to kids and maybe maybe look at the best age. Yeah, no, like what I was saying, I text in. um, So my son is on the autistic spectrum. so the lady a while ago who made the comment about, you know, her husband's a barber, I understand her child has been through a lot, but like a lot of kids can't sit still for a barbers. And I don't think that point has gone across there either. Yeah, okay, Maybe well, fair, 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 fair enough. A barber's of all places is is probably the place where, where children are 
are, are not going to sit still. A lot of children of that age, of, of two years of age, are afraid or don't like getting their hair cut. Yeah, well, that's it. And, and, you know, she just said that the phone is shoved into their hands. That's not always the case. It's a case of, you know, you don't know the outcome. Even the barber doesn't know the outcome. Um, the phone is given to secure the child in place, especially in our circumstances. He doesn't like to sit still. He doesn't like someone at his hair. His hair, his head, his ears are very sacred. Um, I actually find it very hard to get his hair cut. Uh, there's only two barbers in the whole of Cork that I've gone through every barber's and some of them, they, they just don't understand them. They just sit still. How dare you move? You know, it, it, it's, it was a hard, it's a hard case. So I found that statement that, oh, the phone is shoved into the hands. That, that was a hard hit because there's a reason behind it. Yeah, it was, it was a general statement, but obviously oh, caused I know, but like it, it, it was a hard hit. Now, I've also two other kids. I have a teenage daughter and she has a disability. So, you know, she's never been in the Snapchat generation with her friends, her classmates. Um, but I've seen it on that circumstances. They're all very clicky then as well. And she's outside that circle. But she also has cousins as well who's in the teenage years. Um, and I've seen it on their side that it is, and it is a bullying world. And I, as a person who was bullied all of my life through school years, um, see see the see the signs outside of that circle. Um just because my daughter's not in that circle and doesn't is is not you know, outsider. Um, you know, and behind a phone, behind a screen, they're totally anonymous. It can happen. And it's just about monitoring it more than what it is. I have a nine year old daughter who won't get a phone until a long time because I know what way it's gonna be. There's so much happening there that people are not aware of. Okay, um, I kind of wasn't expecting to say uh, you to say you 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 were bullied as well. Does that colour your opinion on? And, and I know you're dealing. Is it three children you have? I've three children. Yeah, yeah one on the autistic uh, spectrum and the other with one with a, a physical disability. Uh, and yeah. d- does it colour your opinion as to when would be the safest time to give them um, online no, smart I mean, devices? I, I feel it gives me more of an outlook that I'm watching everything. I'm constantly watching. I'm watching movements, comments. You know, I'm never switched off. Um, like my daughter, she's 14. She wouldn't pick up on comments and she wouldn't have a clue um, where I would have always been the parent in the group with them because I can't leave her unattended. Um, so I would see outside things. But it, it happens all over. Like, she's cousins with relatives that, you know, I can see it through them as well. You know, it, it, it's not it's not just a stranger down the road. It's inner circles. It's everything. And what, what about a, a parent as an admin in, in, a, in a young eight or nine-year-old children's group? A trusted parent as an admin. Would the, would the kids rail against that and put nothing in the group? Wouldn't be much fun, would it? Well, no. You, you see, it's it's a public public group. She's okay. not on. She's not on media. She's not on WhatsApp. She's not on. You know, like she ha- she she did get a phone last year for Christmas, and the only numbers in that phone is mom, dad, and Nana. There are no other phone. There are no other links in there. Um, she won't be on social media because I know from myself being on social media, it, it it's a hard world. It is, and it, it's a hidden world, and there's just so much out there that we're just not aware of. 
And as the comment was made a while ago, if someone's following you down the road and they're following you, that's exactly what it is on social media. They're following you, but you don't know who they are. There's nobody denying that there are obvious benefits to children having a smartphone as well as the obvious drawbacks. There's a security issue, a location issue. Uh, for instance, there's a 12-year-old in our family who's got, I, know, I don't know what exactly what it's called, it's like Young Revolut, um, but the only people who can send him money are his mum and dad, right? Um, yeah. But, yeah, you know, if he was stuck or missed a bus or, or, or whatever and you needed to get, he can use an ATM if he needed to get 20 quid or whatever, it, it can be sent. And there are obvious benefits to that. Yeah, like my daughter has a Young Revolut as well and it's linked to my card and I'm the only one that can send money onto it. And it's a direct link from my card to her card. So if if she is out um, with a carer, I can send money on if she has ran out of her money on it. She has an allowance weekly. It's only two euro. She's 14. What does she need money for? Um, so unless it's something she's, oh, I've seen this, I want to buy it, I won't put more than that on it. Yeah, you know, I'm not sure if you heard the stats a little earlier on, uh, but as a parent of children in in both of these age demographics, eight to twelve years old, ninety three percent of their own smart device, eighty four percent of their own social media or instant mess messaging account, thirty three percent gamed with strangers online, and sixty one percent were contacted by a stranger during an online game. Uh, You've an older child as well. This is the twelve to sixteen year old stats. Ninety eight percent own a smartphone, 73% can go online whenever they want. 50% of girls posted videos of themselves online, only 18% of boys. But 80% believe the online world to be a mix of negative and positive experiences. And, and is that what it is? It's, it's, it's an unknown world. There's going to be negativity, there's going to be a lot of positivity. But, it it, is, and I don't think but they're vulnerable when they explore is what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, and I don't think it's educated in school. Just like the whole driving situation yesterday that you were talking about. Like, there's no education in, in school through all of this. You know, they, there's so much more education they need rather than let's get out in the fresh air. Yes, it is great for being out in the fresh air. Um, like, we're in a small country school and it's big and let's go outside, the weather's nice. But they're not getting educated in the class about outside life. Um, about what is behind other doors. Can I ask you something? Does having your children in a small country school, which is probably surrounded by a small country community, insulate them from the more serious elements of bullying? Because there's probably more fear in the would-be bullies that uh, oh, this is a small town, I'm going to get caught here. Uh, and that they may not have in urban areas. That safety uh, may be mitigated, would you think? I don't think so. Um, bullying happens in all cases of life. Like, I'm from the city. I went to a big school, a big girls' school, and I think that is another factor there. It wasn't mixed. Um, the girls girls can be vicious. Um, you know, and I went to the primary school, secondary school, all girls, and it happened all through school. So being in a small community, small country, it, it doesn't make a difference. Um, but... It's still there. It's always going to be there. It doesn't matter what upbringing you have, where you live. It's there. There is no. There is no protection. Mm. Hasn't parenting changed though since since you were reared? The responsibilities and the awareness needed in so many more areas is so prevalent now than in the time when you and I were probably reared. Well, that's what I say. Like when when I was growing up, you came in when you heard the Angelas. <laughs> the church bells ringing. That was your dinner. 
then you could go back out and the minute the street lights came on, you were back in and it's bedtime. There was no contact, no anything, anywhere, out you went. Um, where now, it's where are you, what are you doing? You well, can't what, what, were, the what were the games? Uh, you know, besides the two jumpers for goalposts, says he quoting an Ed Sheeran Curb. concert. Uh, but what was, there was Hunty, wasn't there, and Kick the Can. It was Curbs, uh, Rounders. Hopscotch. Uh, hide, and, hide and Seek, the simple things, they were brilliant. And now you introduce them to the kids and they don't know what's going no, on. No, now it's Grand Theft Auto or... Yeah, yeah, stick in front of a computer, which, again, is another screen. <laughs> um, yeah, I think things have changed awfully, but it doesn't make things go away. It doesn't make it easier. It just gives people more of a hide-and-seek to get away from, oh, that never happened. Yeah, a, a little world they can lock themselves away in the, with, the, you know, with the inherent dangers in there. So uh, what, what, exactly. what, are, what are you hoping for your children to, to get them through this minefield and, and get them uh, good, strong, responsible, positive adults? Well, as much as we all want to protect our children, they have to, they have to get, um, they, have to, they have to learn through what's going on around them as well. Mm. But what can you do is just keep fighting a corner and keep, keep trying, to, trying to look in, try to monitor them. But at the same time, they need to learn from what's happening. Yeah, and keep, keep trying to be the best parent you can be, Susan. I think that's the only message really, isn't it? Everybody exactly, will, I guess. Thank you so much. We're all ourselves. Thank you. Thanks, and thanks for listening. You're obviously listening uh, over the course of the programmes if you knew about yesterday's one, mm. so thank you for that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, we love loyal listeners here. Yeah. <laughs> thank okay. you, Susan. Cheers. Bye-bye. Uh, one more text on the Gardaí. Is it any wonder there's a problem recruiting Gardaí when people in the job do nothing but whinge and put it down? Uh, says Paddy. Uh, we have three on the cyberbullying. Do you know that there are <clears throat> professional trolls who compete against each other for results? It's kind of like a game. There are a few sites on the dark web where the aim of these maggots is to elicit reactions, to gather disciples, other users who pile on. There are also prizes given for the highest scorers. The awards are usually a sideshow at Comic-Con in San Diego. It's a sick world. Uh, says Pat. I was watching the newsroom, I kind of watched it for the second or third time actually a few months ago. Uh, touches a little bit on the dark web and uh, how trolling um, in in the example, uh, the computer expert called Neil went in and became a troll and infiltrated and, and got a huge uh, news story but uh, could never recommend a programme high enough uh, as that one. Uh, he wrote The West Wing, Aaron Sorkin and uh, that was his Next foray into uh, television with, uh, is it Jeff Daniels or Jeff Bridges? I can't remember. Uh, Jeff Daniels, I think, uh, as Will McAvoy. It's an amazing uh, program. If you ever get a chance, a TV series called The Newsroom. Uh, one of the best starts to a series ever portrayed on television. Anyway, I digress. Back to our text. Uh, Trend Micro is a cybersecurity company that has an office in Cork. They have a Trend Cares program. That complete, uh, completes ISKF. That's Internet Safety for Kids and Family. They do boot camps throughout Ireland and have global outreach. They are Cyber Academy boot camp videos you can watch online at www.trendmicro.com. 
to upskill your kids and you the parents on how to practice health and safety online. All these boot camps are completely free and they also work with secondary schools and primary schools throughout Ireland and the globe. There's a company in Ireland with a fully locked down online platform which is monitored for bullying behaviour. It's brought in at primary school level for children to be introduced to online socials. I believe it is in the pipeline at the moment to be introduced in Ireland. The company is called Cyber Smarties, and that sounds like a fantastic idea. So two informative texts there. Uh, one about Trend Micro. Uh, I think you should check out at, uh, www.trendmicro.com. And the other, uh, even though I don't have a URL for it, is called Cyber Smarties. Uh, so you could certainly Google that, and that may be of help, uh, of help to you if you are uh, investigating how best uh, to navigate the dangers of... Uh, kids' access to the internet uh, and the obvious pressure you're getting from little Johnny or Mary that everyone else has a phone, why can't I? Uh, finally, it's a, a text on rugby. Spoke to a rheumatologist, a clinician last night. He cancelled 15 appointments today alone, not to mention yesterday because of the Bordeaux situation and being stuck without a flight home in, Bardo, in Bordeaux. 15 appointments today alone, not to mention yesterday. Uh, all people who've been on very long waiting lists uh, and all because that return flight was not available. Uh, back home from Bordeaux. Coming up on 28 minutes after 11 now. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Cork's Red FM. And Neil returns on Monday morning next for, uh, when normal service will be resumed. In the meantime, I'll get on with it and uh, welcome Anne-Marie McElwright. Uh, is it McElwright or McElwright? McElwraith, Mick. McElwraith, okay. Now, you're the proprietor of Exclusively for Men on Douglas Street. That's a barbering and men's general care salon and the Institute, the International Institute of Barbering and Salon Academy. And you're on to talk about something we'll get to in a moment. But I know you were listening to the article, uh, the piece about autistic children uh, getting their hair cut. And you've got a little initiative in that regard uh, before we get down to the topic uh, we were meant to be talking about. And I think it's worth, uh, just as a nice little segue from the last piece, we deal with this first. Uh, what, are, what are you going to do to acclimatise autistic children to the shop? Well, we've got a number of different options depending on the severity of the child's sensory needs. So if they're sound sensitive, we might make an appointment when there's nobody else in the salon. If their if their sensory needs are around the the actual noise of the machines, we obviously can then offer a scissor cut instead. So a couple of things that we would do, and then we're going to be led by the parents, is we would often invite them to come in maybe two or three times before they're due to get their hair cut, so they can walk around, they get the smell of the the location, they get to hear the sounds of what's going on, um, they get to sit in the chair. And then there's no pressure. They get to go home again. Okay. So when it's time then for the haircut, it's less traumatic for them. This time they're sitting in the chair. So I might introduce if they, to find out whether we could use one of the clippers on their hair, I might actually just put it, place it on their arm so they can see it doesn't cut, it doesn't hurt. It makes a little vibration and see if, and work from there. Always be child-led. Okay. Yeah, that's a very nice initiative and, and uh, just in case I mentioned uh, the words in the wrong order, I said autistic children. I think the correct pronunciation is children who have autism. 
So apologies if I said the wrong thing there. Anyway, that was And it could be an adult as well, actually. Yeah. You know, it, it doesn't stop when the, the child is littler. We might have an older person who has a sensory issue as well that we obviously we can accommodate and nobody needs to know their business. Okay, segue over. We pivot to a different topic. You've been invited to Fox News Studios to speak about Hi, a programme you've developed for young men and teenage boys. Now, coming from exclusively for men on Douglas Street, you're obviously, uh, and uh, being a part of the International Institute of Barbering and Salon Academy, this is something uh, in which you'll have good experience. Tell me about your project, Empower Youth. Okay, uh, well, we're actually based in Douglas Village, right across from John O'Sullivan's car park. So just in case people want to go up Douglas Street and not find me. Okay. (laughs) So the, the project is... It came about from having guys in the chair talking about um, their own sons and their own experience with shaving, uh, their own experience growing up, not learning about how to look after their skin care because we do all of the facials and pedicures and manicures and stuff like that here. And over time, it became a real thing that they were saying, we don't know what to do with our guys. I said, okay, let me put my head together on this. So I joined a university called Entrepreneur City. And as part of that, it was to, I suppose, explore and expand on all these different areas. So this came very naturally. Like I have brothers, I have sons, I have husbands, I know lots of guys. And speaking with other mothers, we weren't told a lot of things about how to look after our boys. So I decided I'd start putting pen to paper and I um, authored a book called The Health and Wellness male grooming skills training program and from that then I went and I got it uh, CPD so it's an accredited by the CPD group okay. is, is it implying that health and wellness come from male grooming or is it just covering each as a different topic no it covers the, the whole area so we'll talk to the guys about their foot care we'll talk to them about their hair care we'll talk to them teach them how to cut their toenails so they don't get ingrown toenails or look after fungal infections and general foot care. We'll go through teaching them how to shave. Um, you know, which direction should they shave first? What do they do if they've got acne or another skin condition? What is their post shave routine, their pre shave routine, how to actually do the shave. And we also cover things like cancer awareness. So we'll talk to the boys about their chest check or a breath check as it would be known as. And we'll talk to them about how to do their testicular check. Under the Movember rules, they call it Know Thy Nuts. So it's all about how do they look after themselves? You know, what do they need to be looking out for? When do they need to reach out for help? How do they reach out for help if they feel uncomfortable or their own circle isn't one that they would be comfortable to do that in? We cover mental health awareness, um, both for themselves and how to recognise it in other boys, their friends. So the program really co- it goes from A to Z, and it's all about boys. Okay, uh, and to be honest, uh, it, it's like a light bulb moment. Uh, you, you know, there's yeah. obviously a, a huge niche there. there there's obviously huge. there's obviously a gap in the market, and there's obviously a market in the gap. Yeah, when I was invited to put forward a proposal, um, I didn't have to go through any of the other steps. Like they read the proposal and they said, "Yeah, this is really cool. What are you going to do with it?" So. Then I went on and I published the the health and wellness book as part of that and got and you know getting it CPD was important 
because I've been to a number of Cork schools and I've delivered the programme in the, the Cork schools. So it's very well received from the students, very well received from the schools. I've done a few online programmes for parents. And again, it's simple information. Like one of the things I didn't know, because I don't remember my brothers doing it, is that boys will go through a stage where they do not want to get into the shower. They do not. Like It Why doesn't not? matter what you do. It's a stage to go through. And not every boy goes through it, but I absolutely remember lifting one of my twins with his clothes on into the shower, feeling that I was at fault or I was a bad parent or there was something I was doing. I didn't know it was actually a stage that they go through. And then they come out the other stage and you can't get them out of the shower. How old was, was, how old was the boy in that situation? He was 12 going on 13. And and grew out of that? Uh... I grew out of it very quickly, but I didn't realise that it was a stage. Okay. That's a new one on so... me. Uh, t- t- tell, me a little about, <laughs> tell me a little about shaving and the techniques uh, that uh, that can be employed. Because, you know, sh- shaving is a, is a two-minute expo from your dad. This is what you do. But you can shave in the wrong <laughs> direction. You need a little bit of, a, uh, of aftercare. By the way, if I, could t- if I could take a tablet in the morning and never have to shave again, it's my pet hate. Queuing at bars, harpoon guns, uh, you know, which cause useless death to whales, and shaving. I want, I want to rid the world of all of those. Yeah. You know, this was one of the things over the years. You know, you'd be giving a hot shaves to one of the, the dads. Well, you mm-hmm. wouldn't know he was a dad. And I, I suppose, I, because I'm an educator, I'd often go into, this is what I'm doing, and this is the reason why... And quite often the answer was, geez, I didn't know that or nobody ever told me that. And like the the razor was left in the bathroom, maybe with a a bottle of foam or a bit of soap or whatever. You came up with half the toilet roll on your face while you learned not to cut yourself. You're so right. Uh, And I I kind of went, geez, like this, this is a rite of passage. Every boy is going to go through at some stage or another. And then, you know, even knowing that you may grow your hair on your neck first, you may grow it on your face first, you may not grow a lot of hair at all and how to style it using what you've got instead of bemoaning what you don't have so from there um, kind of that kind of developed and that became part of this whole health and wellness thing and what we look at is the pre-shave routine should be using warm water washing the hair, if you're keeping your beard make sure you're washing all of the skin, even through the beard. Doing an exfoliation. Again, an exfoliation is like a cream that feels a little bit gritty. And what it does is it takes off all of the environmental dirt, any kind of residue that would be on the skin, any of the dead uh, skin cells. And make sure you bring that through the beard here as well. Like if I'm doing a beard style here in the salon, I wash my gentleman beard and I exfoliate their beard and I'll condition their beard even before I style it people forget the skin under the beard (laughs) (laughs) which is a bit weird and are are, are the girls so far ahead of the boys in this because you you know there's lash bars there's nail bars there's there's beauty and pampering uh, outlets as businesses that thrive uh, because girls are more probably more aware that, that this is not just good for you but makes you look better it is and I Really, the background to that is that as women, even as young girls and as a parent to, to girls, we're always looking at how to make them look better. It's a kind of a, it's a social thing. 
you know, girls really should have nice clean skin, they should have pretty nails, they should wear pretty makeup, they should have pretty hair. So from a very young age, girls are being accustomed to looking after the nails, looking after the hair, the face, the nails, learning about makeup. Look, learning and boys essentially hair. aren't? No, not at all. And for most women, we're not used to teaching boys how to look after themselves because we've never done it. And we're not a boy. So we don't generally understand, like, boys will develop in different ways to girls and boys are going to shave their face. So girls don't generally shave their face. So we don't know how to teach them. And, and what is the solution? This training program, is, is it going to be on video? Is, is it going to be a paid attendance? How is it going to work? Well, the way I've been offering it so far is that I will go into any school that invites me in, and I've been down to Bandon Grammar School, to Edmund Rice, down in Carrigaline, down to Cove, and now we're opening it up to schools the length and breadth of Ireland, and with this opportunity in the States, perhaps even further afield. So what we want, what would be optimum is that in a school environment, just like girls are taught how to look after themselves in school through home ec and other programmes, that the same program will be extended to guys so that they can now look at their best. They now can have the facial hair styling that they want, whether it's a beard, a moustache or no hair at all, and that they can look their best, that they can have man brow styling so they don't have women's brows. So it's focused just for them. It, it seems like it's, it's going to be a huge success. Now, success has been uh, the, the hallmark here because it's been successfully mm-hmm. delivered in a number of Cork schools and you're now mm-hmm. taking bookings throughout Ireland. Obviously, you can't mm-hmm. do this for nothing. What sort of charges involved? Yeah, through the school system, uh, what was recommended by one of the teachers is the fee is €250 Euro for the programme. Okay. Uh, now that the programme is CPD'd, all of the students are entitled to get a CPD uh, certificate or a certificate CPD'd. And any of the teachers that attend can get their three CPD points as well, which is always very nice. Okay, I have a lot to um, cover before I let you go. There's a book available okay. on Amazon.com. Uh, what, what, yep. do, what do parents look for? What do boys name, look for? If they put in my name, uh, that's the easiest way to find us. It's, it's, so it's not the easiest name. It's, it's Anne with an E <laughs> and a dash and a Marie and then a McElright. MC. No dash. No, no dash. So Anne-Marie, no all, dash. all one word. Anne, Anne, A-N-N-E space. Marie, M-A-R-I-E, space, and it's capital M-C, capital I-L-W-R-A-I-T-H. Okay, Max W-R-A-I-T-H. Okay, so that's the book of which you're the author. And and you're going uh, on to Fox News on the 1st of November. Uh, Um, That's that's USA, of course, and it's going to be live streamed. It is. Now, I've been very lucky. Uh, Cork City, um, Leo and Cork City have been really helpful. They've kind of given me two mentors over the year, you know, that that have helped to steer me and what needs to be done, how to be organised, how to be structured. So they've been really, really good. Uh, Cork Matters have been doing kind of a lot of promos and doing videos coming down locally because obviously I don't have a budget. Yeah, um, and, and how, how can how can schools away from the Amazon book purchase thing? How can yeah. how can schools get in touch with you if they're interested in those programs, which seem to be oh, very fairly priced emails. at two hundred and fifty euros? Oh, absolutely, and it covers whatever number of students they have in the class. It's demonstration style, so the kids are actually going to be seeing how to actually cut their nails, how to 
to look after their hair. We will do an actual shave uh, in the school. We'll go through the whole process and how it works and I bring products with them. And if, any boys are, any products. if any boys or men, Anne-Marie, want to uh, you know, go to the foot of the expert and, and visit you and yep. exclusively for men, uh, which is in the back village across from O'Sullivan's, uh, that, yep. that's available by appointment or walk-in, is it, or not, not walk-in? Oh, it's, everything is by appointment. So it's exclusively for men.booksy.com if they want to book an appointment. Now, if they want, if one, any one of um, any one of my clients who want to bring in their sons or grandsons, I will teach them how to shave for free. I'm not going to charge for that. I just oh. think it's something that every boy needs to know. Okay, what's to learn about shaving? Get it wet, get it warm, shave it off. <laughs> is it, is a it little di- bit, different directions, different styles and techniques, yeah, isn't it? Different, yeah. If you want to keep your facial hair styling, what are you going to do? If you're going to shave, then you've got the pre-shave routine, the cleanse, the to- or the exfoliation, you know, keep it warm. Then you've got the actual shaving process itself, using a foam, a razor. So are you better off using a safety razor with one blade, particularly if you've got acne, because multiple blades will actually cut them and expose the infection. Fair point, never knew uh, that. Could- do you recommend shaving oil or shaving foam? Depends on the skin and depends on the person. Wow. So has there been a and reticence? Post-shave, sir. Post-shave care. Which is moisturising, is, is it? you tone the skin and you moisturise preferably with something with an SPF in it because we don't want guys getting skin cancer. Ah, okay. Because you're you're exposing the skin and, and maybe taking you're a layer of spores off or whatever. Of has there been a reticence or, or, or a lack of interest uh, in your services from boys because, they're, you know, it's just not the manly thing to do? Um, well, I suppose I'm of a general, I'm older, right? So a lot of the guys will kind of see me a bit like the mammy. So, you know, there's none of the giggling or whatever going on. It's all very matter of fact. Look, guys, this is what you need to do. This is why you need to do it. We don't want you cutting your skin. We don't want you opening your, your acne if it's, if it's live or if you're going through a flare-up. And this is how you're going to do it. They're very open to learning. Okay. They actually want to learn. Uh, the, I suppose that up until now, they just haven't had somebody to teach them. Okay, it's 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 been a fascinating discussion, Anne Maria. I think you've identified an, uh, a big growth area uh, when it comes to you know to male wellness, grooming, and uh, essentially onwards into mental health. I suppose because the, you know the better you look, the better you feel, the better your mental positive outlook, etc. It's, it's so it's a it's it's a great area to provide boys, teens, and young men with young life men. skills, and of course because it's skin. It's covering areas including cancer awareness, mental health, Absolutely. well-being, personal hygiene, including skin care, foot care, nail care, hair care, all the things you didn't know you liked, and uh, teaching students shaving skills and uh, mm-hmm. techniques. And you also include a little bit on sports and, anyone and nutrition. Can, I actually sent out an email yesterday to the Cork schools, and one of the biggest issues I'm having is that the Department of Education has a block on the emails, so the emails are all bouncing back. So it's very hard to reach out to the schools, even to send them the brochure, the catalogue. So once again, if they want to reach you, and I have to leave it there then. Yeah, absolutely. So if they want to reach me, they can email me at empoweryouth, I-N-T-L for international, at gmail.com. Okay. So empoweryouth, I-N-T-L at gmail.com. So if if I dropped in now, would your your shave be as good as a Turkish barber maybe? I'm not Turkish. I'll shave you better than any Irish <laughs> brother, though. <laughs>
Okay, Anne-Marie McElroy. So, well, I live here as well. Th- so th- that's th- a nice, that's th- nice Thank you very much. That's exclusively for thank men. Thank you, Mick. Thank you. Across from John O'Sullivan's in the back Douglas Village. Thanks. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818 104 106. Morning from the Neil Prendival Show, nine minutes to twelve now. Now, in a very busy program yesterday, and we wanted to mark the fortieth anniversary of uh, the uh, the launching on Irish television of what was to become a hugely popular series called Glen Row. Remember the music. Most children on a Sunday night, that meant, uh, oh no, that's going to remind mum and dad to, to check if I have my homework done. And it kind of meant the, the back to school Monday was upon us. Well, holy God, as Miley would say, 40 years ago yesterday, the 11th of September, the very first episode of Glen Row hit our TV screens. For many, that sig tune filled them with fear uh, heading back to school. The weekend was over, the homework wasn't done. If you've any memories of the soap, uh, and we put this up on social media last night, so we do have some texts already. But you can phone us on 0818 uh, 104 106 or text, which would probably be better at this late juncture in the programme, 086 8104 106. On line three, we have Aiden. Hi, Aiden. Hi, uh, Seamus. Yeah, Aiden, it, it's Mick. How's it going? It's, uh, Hi, Mick. Yeah, you've fond memories of Glen Row, have you? I have, Mick, yeah. Um, I remember um, you would have the homework done. That night, you know, Sunday night, before Monday morning. And sometimes you forget to do the homework, you know? Yeah, and there were some brilliant characters on that. That's where uh, Mario Rosenstock started his career, actually, as, a, as the doctor on Glen Road. Yeah. To be fair, he, he hasn't aged much. Now, he, he wasn't yeah, on 40 years ago. It could have been 30 years ago or something. But he hasn't aged much since then. Uh, you were in national school back then? I was in our national school in John Kilty at the time, yeah. And uh, and was it a popular show at your age group, or was it just dreading hearing the music with no homework done, or what? It was a popular show. Yeah, it was. My parents loved the chat. And I, I you believe know? your your Jack Russell used to bark when the when the music came on. Yeah, at the end of the show, Jack Russell always used to bark at the end of the show. You know, whatever it was with the music, he started barking, barking. It was so funny, like it's comical. Yeah, we we were trying to get Mary McAvoy on this morning, but she was busy. Uh, that, that, that of course would have been Biddy and um, the, the great Mick Lally of course as as Miley met him once in the lobby bar uh, lovely fella I bumped into uh, to Joe Lynch as well uh, unexpectedly walked out of a hallway in a radio studio in White's Cross many 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 years ago uh, and Joe Lynch was there for a meeting and he walked like Dinny Byrne he walked, he walked with a hand behind the back uh, and you know what he said to me uh, he, he kind of said where are you from and I said I'm from Cove um, and he said something like neat and decent and quite adjacent to Passage West on the other side or something. He had a comment uh, straight out. Um, but uh, great to meet those characters. Uh, the the Glenrow village or the house is actually a kind of a artisan shop as well that you can drive up to uh, and, and purchase some products there. So um, you've, you've good memories of it anyway. I have good memories of it, yeah. Who was your favourite character? Remember. Did you ever meet any of them? My favourite character was Dini. Why? You know, he used to always have to go with the father. Oh, Miley, 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 Miley that's right, yeah. Yeah. And, um, yeah, Miley and Biddy broached the very tender subject of sex as well uh, on, on Glenrow. Um, and I know having coming, was it before or after Bracken that uh, those sort of Wesley Burroughs TV shows introduced 
uh, the likes of Gabriel Byrne to the acting world as well. Yeah. All right. Uh, thanks, Aidan. Thanks a million. Oh, can I give a big, big shout out there, Seamus? Yeah, uh, one. To my family, Mark and Pete and Clown Kilty. And um, I want to say best luck to Clown Kilty too in the football. Hopefully they go all the way and win the county. And to Sash with Holland Club. I work in Sash with Holland Club. I'm the Clown Sporting Caretaker there in the main man for Sash with Club. I wish Sash with Holland Club the best too. Hopefully they can win the, the county this year for Teddy McCarthy. God be good to him. You know, oh, fair, so fair, fair play to you. You sound so like you could be a good GA commentator yourself. Yeah, thanks very much. <laughs> All the best to you. Thanks. Uh, uh, by text, Jesus, that music brings back flashbacks of 9 pm of, of a Sunday evening back in the day and realizing the homework wasn't done. I've often seen Liam Heffernan, who played Blackie Connors around Cork City, and I still get starstruck. Uh, Liam and I had, an, had a, a kind of a spirited argument once, actually, about um, the Irish uh, phrase, da fake. And I was saying, Daw's a, Daw's a fool and fake is a forgery. And that's what it's about, Daw fake. He said, no, 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 it's very firmly Irish, uh, Liam Heffernan said. Uh, Gaw being two and fake being looks. In other words, you'd have to look twice uh, to see that, uh, that it was a fake. And, you know, to be honest, in the fullness of time, I think uh, he was right and I was wrong. Uh, I loved Michelle and Glenn Rose as a text. That Sunday night feeling of dread, says another texter. Scatter for the stairs, no homework with the best days. The theme tune always meant I had to go to bed as I had school. Uh, Catherine used to love watching it. Mary, Dinny, Miley Byrne, all out on the farm. Who was, who was that guy as well? George, who was very well spoken. Alan something. He was a brilliant actor uh, and a great voiceover artist. Well, holy God, was, uh, that was a great program to watch. That was the big phrase that, uh, that came out of it, wasn't it? Well, holy God. Sitting in my PJs with my mam brushing my hair and uh, uh, then straight to bed as soon as it was finished. Uh, but a bit blurry, but just to prove it, um, and this is on WhatsApp, as the music came on, I was on the turn-off for Glenrow. I didn't know Glenrow was an actual town, but I suppose the uh, the original buildings are still there. Good timing, Mick. Well, uh, well done uh, to Kev uh, for sending that in. Uh, with that little memory, we'll wrap up the Neil Prandival show for to Alan Stanford. Yes, that's who George was. Alan Stanford, great actor. Um, we'll wrap up the Neil Prendeville show with my th- uh, thanks to the production crew. Seamus Wheelahan and Claire O'Connor. Great job, uh, guys. Back at nine o'clock in the morning after news. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.